Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Well, here we are a day later, USC, UCLA. After 2024, will not be part of the Pac-12 conference, or rather in the summer of 24, they will migrate to the Big Ten Conference. I had more today at johnconzano.com on the origin of this, the backstory, the fact that USC and UCLA first held discussions about ditching the Pac-12 and defecting to the Big Ten a year ago. We've been on this for a year, a high-ranking athletic department staffer at USC told me. Lost some steam last year, then it picked up again two months ago. And was a slow buildup leading to yesterday. What do I know? Well, I know that USC and UCLA barely talked throughout this process. There wasn't a lot of back and forth and sharing of uh, resources or ideas. I know that George Kleofov, the Pac-12 commissioner, was surprised by what happened yesterday. I know that the university presidents and chancellors, aside from those at UCLA and USC... They were in the dark as well. Oregon's Rob Mullins, he wasn't aware that USC and UCLA were leaving until he saw the news break. Same goes for Oregon State AD Scott Barnes, and I don't blame them necessarily. This was a secret that was kept and held and guarded very carefully. And, you know, I I didn't tell this story on yesterday's show, but I'm kind of kicking myself for not sniffing this out a couple of weeks ago. Father's Day. I did a big story on Father's Day about the Pac-12 Conference Fathers. You can read it again at johnconzano.com. That's where I'm writing. I shouldn't have to tell you that all the time. But I, I, uh, that's where I'm writing now. That's where you can read me. But I wrote this Father's Day piece that I spent a lot of time on. I reached out to Bobby Hurley at Arizona State. I said, tell me about your dad. And he gave me a great story about his dad kicking him out of the gym in New Jersey and uh, how that shaped him today. I reached out to George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner. He told me a story about his dad, sort of the work ethic and the discipline. You know, he never saw his dad take a day off in his life. I reached out to Colorado AD Rick George, and his dad worked in a a meatpacking plant on the kill floor. And, you know, blue-collar father, and I've talked about these stories a little bit. Uh, If you're a diehard listener, you know. But... The backstory and one story that did not make it into my piece was the story about USC athletic director Mike Bone and his father. See, I wanted to include an anecdote from Mike Bone in this piece that I wrote. And so I reached out to USC and uh, their normal sports uh, information person who is their vice president of communications is uh, retiring and so... Uh, he's only working part-time, and they handed me off to somebody else that I'm not used to dealing with. And and uh, this uh, this woman that I was communicating with essentially told me 
um, you know, refresh me, she said, uh, you know, what are you writing this for? And I said, Father's Day. And she said, well, what are you going to ask him? And she wanted this in writing. What am I going to ask him in writing? I said, I'm going to ask him about his dad. The question would be, tell me about your dad. And then she said, well, uh, let me check and see if uh, Mike is up to doing it. Now, that struck me as different. It struck me as odd. And I'm now kicking myself because it's evident that USC at the time was trying to keep Mike Bone away from reporters, columnists, radio show hosts who might ask him questions if they were sniffing around the issue. And they would probably gather that, you know, if it, John Wilner, myself, maybe Nicole Arbach at The Athletic, there's a very limited number of people, Pete Thamel at ESPN, there, there's a limited, Dennis Dodd maybe at CBS, there's a limited number of people that would be tuned into that or even sniffing around it. And what I gathered now in looking back is that USC was keeping Mike Bone away from media members. They didn't want him to talk about his dad. Well, that's what I thought. But really, they didn't want him to talk at all. And so this came as a surprise yesterday as USC and UCLA decided that they're moving to the Big Ten Conference in 2024. They will share in that conference's billion-dollar-a-year Fox television windfall, just as sure as ESPN put together the Oklahoma and Texas uh, departure from the Big 12 into the SEC. You better believe Fox had its hands in this USC-UCLA deal. Uh, Meanwhile, the presidents and chancellors uh, in the conference held an emergency meeting this morning with Commissioner George Klyovkov in which They talked about two things, I'm told, per a source. They talked about the stabilization of the conference. How do we ensure that our current members stick with us, are happy, are on board, believe in what we're doing? There was some discussion in this meeting, I am told, about, like, hey, we need to really focus on galvanizing the core group of programs We need to know as we move forward and we uh, explore expansion of the conference or a possible merger with the Big 12 conference, we need to know that everybody is in on this. And look, I know it's a handshake, wink, wink, let's form an alliance, so much for the so-called alliance, let's form an alliance, let's make a pact, you know, you know it's as good, everybody's watched reality television and watched Survivor knows that an alliance is as good as the people in it. But uh, that that big first part of the meeting today, well, you know, was really about like how does the Pac-12 sort of get a grip on who's staying in the room, who wants to be in the room, you know, will the Big Ten try to poach Oregon and Washington, will it uh, will it covet the Bay Area television market and chase Stanford and Cal, and you know what happens to Oregon State and Washington State if the Pac-12 disintegrates around it, because if you look at it like the Pac-12 members are all different. They've been described but like children, right? George Klyovkov said, I love all my children equally. But we all know that children have different strengths, different weaknesses. Maybe you parent kids just a little differently based on, you know, sort of who they are. Because Oregon is not the same as Oregon State. Washington is not the same as Washington State. Uh, Arizona is not the same as as Utah. Like, there are differences in these programs. So, it's interesting that they started today by going, look, we, we need to know that we're unified. Let's, let's be unified. At least we're unified in the short term, in the interim. And, you know, I believe they got consensus on that. And then 
the, the conversation shifted into should they take on additional conference members. And keep in mind, you can, you can bang the drum all you like for Boise State. You can bang all, the drum all you like for Notre Dame. You can, you can bang the drum for Fresno State or San Diego State. But in the end, what you're really needing to do if you're the Pac-12 is you're needing to add members who add value to the conference. Like Boise State and football, they're interesting. And, yeah, they can hang around with some of the Pac-12 teams, but they don't add media value because the Boise television market, it's not Los Angeles. It's not Phoenix. Hell, it's not even Portland. So, you know, Boise State doesn't move the needle, doesn't add the value. I had an athletic director explain to me today that it's un- he believes it's unlikely that the Big Ten Conference is going to take additional Pac-12 teams because they don't add value. Because the billion-dollar television deal that the, that the Big Ten has is not wanting to be splitted up or divided uh, by you know a few more pieces of the pie by adding Washington or Oregon, unless Washington and Oregon add some additional dollars to the pot and justify their existence in the Big Ten Conference. So there's a logistical... Pencil and paper problem there for those who are looking to tailgate their way out of the big, uh, you know, the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. Like, you know, if you're Oregon or Washington, you fire up the uh, the engine and you're right on the tails of UCLA and USC going, get me out of here too. But the problem being that the, the, the added value really doesn't merit the piece of the pie that Oregon and Washington would net in joining the Big Ten Conference. you got a problem if you're the Pac-12, and we're going to try to solve it on today's show. We're not just going to talk about the problem. But the problem is that there is, in college athletics right now, a super conference model that is forming. You have the SEC. You have the Big Ten. They believe they have the best teams in the country, the best conferences in the country, and they believe that they are going to compete for the college football playoff for the foreseeable future. I have no doubt that... uh, they will leave a, uh, a narrow entry point for anybody else uh, and that they will keep the uh, automatic berths and the at-large berths when they redo the college football playoff uh, to be tremendously beneficial to those two conferences. I have nothing out there that leads me to believe that the SEC and the Big Ten are suddenly going to act as if they are uh, you know, advocating for what is in the best interest of college football they, have, they believe that they are what's in the best interest of college football, and they believe that you know returning the money to their members is, uh, is how you get it done. Um, I, I'm not sure that that model is going to fly because I think the Big 12 Conference and the Pac-12 are going to talk about a merger if they're not already discussing a merger of their conferences. The alliance that was between the Pac-12 and the Big 10 and the ACC is dead. That's what happens when you get stabbed between the shoulder blades. And uh, you better believe Kevin Warren, uh, the Big Ten Conference commissioner who, you know, yucked it up and slapped backs with George Klyovkov at the Ohio State-Oregon game and had dinner and hung out with Klyovkov and, you know, oh, we're in close contact all the time and we have each other's back, all that alliance talk that Warren and everybody talked about, what, just a year ago, uh, appears, to, uh, appears to be dead. Um, and... You have, uh, you have this alliance that uh, really ended up not being rooted in trust, even though Kevin Warren said it was rooted in trust. One of my uh, most favorite law professors at uh, Notre Dame would say that uh, uh, if you have to go back and look at a contract that you signed, 
you probably entered a deal with the wrong parties. And then I think what that says is our contracts important. Absolutely. They're critically important. But where we are in college athletics right now, uh, what we really need is, is things to be stable. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. I mean, you look at the NCAA going through the Constitutional Convention review. I mean, we have NIL. We have Austin. We have CFP expansion. We have the gender equity you know, issues. I mean, we have many, many issues that we have to deal with, and especially conference realignment. And so we just felt that we could look each other in the eyes, shake each other's hand to say that we have a fiduciary responsibility to the past student-athletes, our current student-athletes, and our future student-athletes uh, to be able to do something that is right, you know, for once, uh, and to really work together. It was built on trust, they said. That was just uh, August of last year, as Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, uh, made that statement. Um, I wonder if his law professor would tell him, good job not signing the contract uh, in the end. But uh, you now have the Pac-12 adrift. You have the Pac-12 wondering what it should do. We're going to talk about it on today's show. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take your phone calls. We're also going to go to Los Angeles where Petros Papadakis, who works for Fox, is going to join us to talk about the reaction in USC land. He is a USC alum. He played there. His dad played there. We'll get Petros on the show here uh, later this hour, uh, bottom of the hour, about 15 minutes from now. He'll be joining us uh, in hour two. We'll be joined at the top of the hour at 4 o'clock by Peter Courtney. He is uh, the reigning president of the Oregon Senate. I know he's retiring but he is fired up about what is happening in the Pac-12 conference, and he has been working behind the scenes. He's been talking to lawmakers in the state of Washington. He's been talking to the governor's office. He's been talking to uh, Michael Schill, the president at Oregon, and others in the uh, last 24 hours. And uh, we'll get a visit from Peter Courtney to tell us you know, what lawmakers are doing. I know in Washington they're looking at legislation that would tie Washington and Washington State together, that would avoid... Washington State getting left behind and, you know, try to deter Washington from leaving the conference without taking Washington State with it. I know that they are considering the same kind of legislation in the state of Oregon. I don't know if it's just a hollow gesture. I don't know. I, I guess Oklahoma and Oklahoma State had a very similar deal that uh, went by the wayside when the SEC came calling. Peter Courtney, 4 o'clock here. Later in the program, John Johnson is the new athletic director at Portland State. He'll be joining us. I'm going to ask him not just about, you know, Portland State's place in this shifting world, but also, like, you know, as a guy in charge, as a leader at Portland State, you know, what kind of leadership does the Pac-12 need right now as everybody is so seemingly trying to find their footing as the ground is shifting beneath them? In the meantime, I want your phone calls. In the next segment, we'll take all of your phone calls, all of your questions, your feelings. I want you to tell me, like, what do you think the path out of this is for the Pac-12? Is there one? Do you advocate for the conference pulling together? Or if you're a Duck fan or a Husky fan, are you going, hey, everybody for themselves, just like USC and UCLA said? 503-417-7575. I want your phone calls now. You got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Let's find a solution for the Pac-12 Conference. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. It's impossible for the Pac-12 to increase its standing by 2024 because really in the next two years it is what it is. But in 2024, when USC and UCLA leave, what can the Pac-12 do to uh, make itself more attractive to potential TV partners and, frankly, to make itself stronger in the eyes of what the college football playoff will become? Let's go to the phones. Roy is in Portland. Roy, big SEC fan, big Georgia fan. Roy, welcome. Hey, John. You know, I've been thinking about this over the last 24 hours, and and it's like um, it was a pure it was a pure money grab for USC UCLA, but I, I don't think in the long run it's going to work out for them because I can't imagine if Georgia left and went to the SEC and went to the Pac-12. I wouldn't care about. It. I, I still love my team, but I wouldn't want to see Georgia versus Oregon or. You know, it's those, it's those battles like the Tennessee and Georgia and our, my bitter rival Florida. You know, that's what makes it college football, your bitter rivals. You know what I mean? I couldn't, I couldn't imagine losing that, that hatred that I have for, for, for my rivals in, my, <laughs> in the SEC. You know, LSU and Auburn. I hate those schools. It's not, it's not about, you know. Yeah. So, but, but, but the solution to me is, the only thing you gotta go and raid the Big Twelve. I don't want to hear about a merger. A merger is not going to work. It can only be one commissioner. It can only be one conference. You gotta go raid Texas. You gotta go get Oklahoma State. You gotta go get Baylor. You gotta go get Houston, and you gotta go get Texas Tech, and then maybe grab Kansas. And you know that's that's about the only thing you can do to stay alive. I mean, you 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 have to get. If you get in that Texas market, you get you go grab a Kansas. That's St. Louis. You're going to get a lot of people in Midwest, a lot of alumni, alumni for Kansas around the Midwest. You'll get that St. Louis, Kansas City, Missouri market. Then you go down to Houston, get that Houston market, and you get uh, Oklahoma. I may, maybe uh, get, get a Baylor, but you're going to have to raid Texas. Get, go get Oklahoma State and go grab a Kansas. And that's about the only thing you can do right now. Other than, I mean... Yeah. But the whole merger with the Big 12, that's, that's, that's not going to work. It's got to be one conference. Somebody, somebody, it's a zero-sum game. Somebody has to die in order for somebody to live. <laughs> and, 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 and that's the only, and I'm sorry, one, one of the major conferences has to die, be it the Big 12, the Pac-12, or the ACC. One of those people, one of those conferences not making it out alive. Yeah. Somebody's and, and- and, and and here's the thing too. When you look at the landscape, you know what really matters is football, and then to some extent men's basketball. And it's why a program like North Carolina and Duke, those two programs become attractive to somebody. I don't know if it's the SEC. I don't know if it's the Big Ten. But I have heard those programs bantered about. But if you are the Pac-12 and you could cherry pick what is left of the Big 12, yeah, you're looking at Baylor. Maybe you're looking at Iowa State. Maybe you're looking at Oklahoma State or Texas Tech or Kansas because of Kansas because of basketball. But Texas and uh, Oklahoma out of the fray there, you know, you're not interested in all of the Big 12 conference. But what I think could happen 
because, again, it's about television. It's not really about competition. It's about TV markets. I mean, the truth is USC and UCLA have not been very good in the last decade, nor nor consistent in football or men's basketball. But they're in L.A., and if there were another alternative in L.A., the Pac-12 would be all over it. If, you know, Pepperdine had a great football program or LMU had a great, uh, you know, men's basketball program and a football program, yeah, they'd be all over that market. And, and it wouldn't be the end of the world because then they would just gobble it up. But the problem is there's nothing left in the L.A. market after UCLA and, and USC are removed from it. Nothing worth uh, you know, worthy of uh, college football and a TV deal with ESPN or somebody else. So if you look at the Big 12 Conference and you go, okay, what markets do you need? You need to get into Texas. You need to get into Texas. You need to get into the biggest market that you can get into. And maybe it's Texas Tech. Maybe it's Oklahoma State. Maybe it's TCU and Baylor. Maybe you take the four of them. You know, and then, and then I, I do like Kansas because of basketball. And, you know, maybe you have to, and I start expanding, and all of a sudden I go, well, you know what? The Big 12 is adding four members after Oklahoma and, um, and Texas leave. They'll add BYU, they'll add Central Florida, they'll add Cincinnati, and they'll add Houston. Houston coming into the conference. So I, I do think there, there's a potential for a partnership there. It could be a... It could be a uh, West-East uh, kind of Big 12, Pac-12 uh, thing. But I also think, look, Brett Yormark is the Big 12 commissioner. Guess what? Today's his first day on the job. So welcome to the job. It's George Klyovkov on line two, and he wants to merge with you. You're the commissioner of the Big 12 conference. Now, the one thing I think that the, that this partnership has going for it is the fact that you have – George Kliopkov from MGM Entertainment, and you have Brett Yormark, who is working for Jay-Z's Rock Nation. You have two entertainment guys who have moved in the same circles who maybe, uh, you know, have a different outlook on how you solve this problem. And so I, I have cooled to the idea of Washington and Oregon bolting this conference because I frankly don't think the Big Ten right now is going to take them. I just don't think there's enough there. The Seattle TV market, yes, it's interesting, but it but does it justify giving Washington, you know, a piece of the pie? Like, can you go to teams number 17 and 18 in your conference and have them be Oregon and Washington? I think that's going to be a tough sell because I think even though Oregon has a brand, great brand nationally, and even though Washington's got the Seattle TV market, I just don't think it pencils out. And I had a Big Ten Conference AD tell me that the money is the issue because as the money increases to a billion-dollar TV deal, those members have to bring more and more and more to the table in order to be to get a piece of it. Let's go to Lincoln, Nebraska. Lance is in Lincoln, Nebraska, Big Ten country these days. How are you, Lance? Good. You know, I was. Uh, I think you're onto something with your your last point there, uh, with as far as the Big Ten accepting Oregon and Washington, uh, it becomes really hard to, as like you said, as the pie gets bigger for each school, in order to, if they don't bring that dollar value in terms of brand or market, then each individual school is taking that much less. So that becomes the hard part without making a move much higher as far as the overall number of schools uh, in the conference. But if I'm, if I'm, Oregon or Washington, my hope is that 
from what I've been able to tell, the Big 12 payout right now is actually higher than the Pac-12 going out. There's an article out there uh, yeah. about that. So y- you have to wonder if, uh, and, and this is unfortunate, but if Oregon State and Washington State are likely headed for, like, the Mountain West, whereas the rest of the Pac-12 then joins the, the Big 12. Um, and, and I think that's probably the most likely scenario. But even then, that footprint is gigantic, and I guess maybe the hope would be eventually uh, Oregon and Washington get into the Big Ten. But I think right now, don't sign off those grant of rights long-term like the ACC schools, but definitely look at the, what the next best move is. Yeah, I think uh, I think the, the move, if I'm Oregon here, there's only two ways here. One is you stay put in the Pac-12 conference. You uh, versus the peers in the Pac-12 conference will be funded at a much uh, more impressive level because you have Phil Knight in your corner. And you just say, hey, look, we're going to try to fashion ourselves as the Clemson of the Pac-12 conference. Uh, you know, Clemson in, in the ACC just dominates and and ends up as a uh, as a uh, perennial uh, candidate to get to the playoff because they have their way uh, in their conference. But if you are, um, if you are somebody like, uh, you know, if you are somebody like Oregon, and you're looking at, you know, what else is on the table? The only other plausible scenario is either you're leaving to go to another conference, the Big Ten or the SEC. Or you are staying put and you're going, hey, we're either going to be Clemson of our conference or let's merge with the Big 12. And we can live with that because that will increase our media rights. And and the wild card, too, in this thing, because it's all television driven. We know that, right? Everybody knows it's TV driven. The salaries are TV driven in all the sports. Uh, the kickoff times are TV driven. The uh, the fact that, that you and I um, – are, are having to watch games on Thursday night or Friday night or Saturday at 7.30. It's all TV-driven. And this thing where USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten Conference, it's driven by Fox. And Oklahoma and Texas was driven by ESPN. So here's the wild card. I, ca- I got to thinking today, I was like, you know, who, who else is out there who could potentially come in and be interested in the Pac-12, even without USC and UCLA? And the answer is ESPN. Because ESPN needs programming in the Pacific time zone and in the mountain you know, time zone. It needs that, that programming. And it kind of fits what happened when the Big 12 looked to implode. ESPN came in and kind of put its arms around the Big 12 and said, hey, we're going to support you. We're going to help you keep this together. And, you know, and they, I think they paid premium value for what the Big 12 conference had left, even without Texas and Oklahoma. And so I wonder if a merger with the Big 12 and ESPN as your media partner, it's not going to close the gap all the way to a billion dollars in the Big 10, but it's going to create a 20 to 22 team uh, conglomerate that is the Big 12 and the Pac-12, and it's going to have ESPN dollars that are going to be uh, far greater than what the Pac-12 conference and the Big 12 are getting now. And that is, to me, the wild card that is yet to be played. We're going to go to L.A. next. Petros Papadakis. He is one of the play-by-play broadcasters and analysts on Fox's football coverage. He's also an alum of USC. He will tell us what the reaction there was. Where was he when he found out? And what is the reaction subsequently? There's a lot of mourning going on across the Pac-12 footprint. But what about in L.A.? We go to Petros Papadakis next. 
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I love having this guy on the show. He knows college football. He knows USC. He knows broadcasting. He's a man of the world. Petros Papadakis. You can catch him broadcasting college football games on Fox in the Petros and Money Show in Los Angeles on 570 AM. Petros, give me your reaction. Yesterday when you heard the news, where were you? Set the scene, and what was your immediate reaction to USC and UCLA bolting from the Pac-12? Uh, this is a true story. I was in a hot yoga class at my sister's yoga studio in Torrance, and uh, I'm not supposed to bring my phone in there, but because it was my sister's class, I take some liberties, and uh, my phone started bouncing all around the floor, and I kind of tried to ignore it because it's kind of an intense class, and I finally looked at it, and I saw it, and I didn't run out of the room screaming or anything. I finished the class. I handled myself with dignity, and then I just got on the phone and started fielding calls and figuring out who wanted to talk and how I felt about it. But just like Lincoln Riley and all the ADs and all the people you know that were blindsided by it, I was blindsided as well. But I I guess, and I think you feel similarly, that we shouldn't have been as surprised as we were but the timing is, is pretty wild. I want to ask you, you know, you've been all over this, and we have talked about this on your show, Larry Scott in his tenure. This feels like a little bit of a hangover for me uh, to his tenure. But I also put a little bit of this on, on George Klyovkov, like not like him being blindsided by this uh, surprised me. Yeah, he was caught flat-footed, and I guess that's the same as what happened with the Big 12 situation. I mean, the similarities between what happened with Oklahoma and Texas, and the shockwaves that that sent through the central part of the state and proud programs like Iowa State and TCU and a lot of people that have competed for a long time against each other. This feels very, very uh, alike. It just I feel like it is a giant TV corporate move. And if ESPN was behind the SEC, Texas and Oklahoma thing, then Fox is behind this Big Ten expansion into Los Angeles. And that's the first thing that really occurred to me. Uh, Did it happen in a vacuum? No, it happened while guys like you waved a giant red flag for a decade about how the conference was bleeding out, writing articles about Larry Scott's salary, about the rent of the Pac-12 building, about the viability of the Pac-12 network. And, you know, I was talking about this earlier today, and we had a similar situation in Los Angeles just TV-wise. Around the same time that the Pac-12 network thing was being devised by Larry Scott, which was just a horrible vision, it turns out. But the Dodger deal, John, the Dodger, the Dodgers did a huge deal with Spectrum Sports down here when uh, they made a move from the Fox Sports West company, and which is now Sinclair, believe it or not. And when they did that, they took billions of dollars, and they didn't have the distribution where their team is within their own footprint. They did not have the distribution. So Vince Scully's career, the very end of it, only like a third of the city could, could hear it and see it. And that's pretty unbelievable. I mean, that's still unfathomable. And they've recently gotten it figured out, but it was like that way for like a half a decade 
uh, with the Dodgers in the city of Los Angeles. So it's very similar with the Pac-12 network. I mean, they didn't even have the distribution within their own footprint, let alone being able to produce games on TV and a good uh, studio show and all that different stuff that comes along with it that you do when you have a partner. So we all saw this over the years in developing, and I think we all thought it was beyond repair. I mean, didn't you, with the money discrepancy? We all thought that. Yeah, you could see that it was it was so far gone, and it was going to take a decade to get back. And now without the L.A. schools, I think the Pac-12's really got an uphill climb. We're talking to Petros Papadakis. Your dad played at USC. You played at USC. What's the reaction and the feeling among the fan base uh, as, the, as they look back at the Pac-12 after 2024? It's not going to be your dad's Pac-12. No, or mine. Uh, and, you know, there's always change in college football. Uh, there's a lot of people still attached to the Southwest Conference. We all understand that. Co- the Colorado plan, Nebraska, every year used to be special. Utah, Colorado coming over to the Pac-12. You know, all these different things have happened uh, over the years, and, and we shouldn't be so surprised. However, uh, you used the word mourning on, on our show uh, today, and I feel very much the same way. USC fans now are pretty arrogant. They always have been. And I don't think they think as fondly upon places like Pullman, Washington, and Tucson, Arizona, and even Salt Lake City, and those kind of places as, as Corvallis, as I do. But I will mourn that. My, I mourn my father telling me stories about how they would play against Washington, and the Washington team used to bang on the locker room wall, and one time it fell over, and they're all just staring at each other before <laughs> the game. You know, Stuff like that. We just don't, we're not going to have that anymore. And college football's fun. It's always changing. That's part of why we like it. That's part of the argument that is the constant in college football. And we're always arguing and struggling about something and trying to fix the sport in one way or another. It just feels like it's happening in a really rapid-fire way. And it's really hard to say goodbye to USC versus Cal, right? Or Stanford versus uh, USC or UCLA versus Cal. These are some very special games in all of our lifetimes that uh, I mean I was always a USC guy but when I started traveling the conference I really fell in love with the conference and I realized USC had to be good for the conference to be viable so it's kind of been this terrible double-edged sword for the last 10 years and watching it just slowly wheeze to death the Pac-12's got a decision in front of it it obviously got rocked yesterday but is you know, what? what's the short-term, long-term move, strategy move for the Pac-12 in your mind? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how they recover from this. I feel like, you know, it's like after some, like, big impactful moment where you're kind of on the ground holding on to the carpet, I, I feel like they're still kind of shell-shocked from, from what happened yesterday. And I feel like I think Oregon and Oregon State are great. I love this Seattle market, but... Is it enough? I mean, is is what I think is special about these things enough to move the needle for somebody to let you in on these big, giant, humongous, unfathomable deals? Uh, because that's what the money's become. When I was a young guy and on a scholarship, I knew that we were pieces of meat with legs, and it, to a certain degree we were being used. But I knew that we could also use them back by getting our degrees, and, and it was only – you know, tens of millions of dollars that were being made, as opposed to now, it's billions and billions of dollars being made, and it just can't exist under the current umbrella 
and we're going to go through a lot of growing pains, it seems. Petros Papadakis is our guest. Uh, Petros, the competition element of this, uh, Lincoln Riley in the Big Ten, Chip Kelly presumably in the Big Ten. How do these how do these teams fare against that competition? Well, I mean, as you know, uh, you've covered the Big Ten, and I've been lucky, you know, with Fox and, and the way we've had the contract, the Big Ten contract. So for a few years, and I've been, I've done a game at Michigan. I've been to Champaign-Urbana more times than I can count. <laughs> I've, I've done a game at Kinnick. I've done a game at Camp Randall. So I've seen a lot of these places. Lincoln, and I, I love the brand of football. I mean, Big Ten football feels like American college football. I mean, there's a big statue of Red Grange right outside the Illinois building, which is a memorial stadium just like USC's, just like Nebraska, just like Cal. So there's a lot of great connections through the Big Ten that I appreciate. Uh, but November football in those places is very different. I mean, it used to be like, hey, I hope we don't get caught in Pullman on a night game in November. Now it's like, <laughs> where you, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of landmines, so to speak, in, in the schedule, as far, just weather-wise. And a lot of Big Ten teams are built that way. Uh, they're built to sustain that kind of weather, almost like an all-wheel drive truck in, in, in some regards. You build your roster and recruit your roster. I've loved some of the, the Twitter stuff of uh, people saying, like, USC fans, or USC's football team when uh, Iowa brings out three tight ends and they have like a, like a guy with glasses like to, like trying to understand what's happening. And uh, so that part of it is going to be interesting. I mean, in the current form, and who knows what things are going to be like in two years. Lincoln Riley might be coaching the Dallas Cowboys. But in the current form of things, I think UCLA and their development and their running back and their way they've uh, – done their uh, offense is in a much better position to run the ball and stop the run uh, than USC is. And I, I think it'll be a major adjustment. But it's going to be a major adjustment for people to come out to L.A. too. Well, you know what? Uh, you were in that hot yoga class. What was it, like 105 in there? Humi yeah, something like that. Humid, whatever. Did you leave the class or did you at least get to finish your, your workout? Or no, I stayed. I hung in there, John. <laughs> I, like I stayed. That. I held up the four for the four quarters, and I, I stayed. I love it. Nothing, right. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not that arrogant of a media person to be like, I need to be, I need to get on this right now. This, the world needs me. <laughs> Was your show dominated by this talk? Because we did three hours. I had Wilner on. We did like an hour together. You know, we it dominated. Like calls from all over the country were coming in. Did it dominate the L.A. market, or was it more about enthusiasm and excitement, and then you moved on to talking about the Dodgers and Lakers? Well, it dominated what I do. I mean, I'm a college football person, so that side of things kind of blew up. We are the Dodger station, so we're always going to talk Dodgers. I'm not going to sacrifice my F1 report uh, because I love it's a <laughs> British Grand Prix this weekend. I mean, come on. we got racial slurs flying around. And... Uh, and then, of course, uh, my my radio partner Matt Smith, he did did some NBA stuff. So I mean, it it did. I mean, we did about an hour. We did about half the show on it, and then the other stuff we kind of squeezed in and got through. But and we had John Wilner on, of course, the Pope of the Pack, who broke the story. But we're lucky. I mean, we have good friends who are right on top of this, and we've been close for a decade. You, Wilner. I mean, we've all been in cahoots for quite some time on this very topic. So. Uh, we all know who to turn to when uh, when the walls start falling down.
All right. I appreciate you, man. And uh, I, I hope to see you uh, in a stadium this season. Are you going to be calling games in the stadium, or what's going on with broadcasting right I, now? I, you know what? It looks to me like I think everybody else is, is, is going on the road, but because of the volume of games that yeah. I'll be calling, I will be here. Man, I miss seeing you. I miss seeing you, too, but you can come to L.A. and sit with me in a sanitized room. I'm going to sit with you in hot yoga. How about that? Yeah, come on down. <laughs> do that. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see the sweat bead on your big bald head. <laughs> oh man, I and with no hair, the sweat just pours off me. It's like it's like Niagara Falls over my face. Uh, there you go. I have a lot of hair, and it still pours <laughs> off me. But I'm a big sweaty pig. <laughs> Petros Papadakis, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks for everything. That's Petros Papadakis. Follow him on Twitter. Former USC football great. His dad, football great at USC as well. That is the flavor of Southern California when it comes to this issue. I want you to leave it here. We got more ahead. I'll take your phone calls as well. How will USC be greeted when it comes to Autzen Stadium in a couple years or even this season coming up as they go to Oregon State on a road game? How will they be greeted as they go around the conference? You tell me what you think will happen there. Will fans understand? Will they go, hey, it's money? I would have done it. You would have done it. Will they do that, or will they be pointing at the Trojans going, traitors? You tell me. 503-417-7575. You got the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. How will USC be greeted at football games next season? 503-417-7575. How about UCLA? Judah Newby, how will they be greeted? Well, they're going to get booed anyway, you know, because they're USC and it's Lincoln Riley, but they're going to get booed even louder. I mean, it could get pretty ugly in some uh, in some instances. Obviously, they're not coming to Autzen, but they are coming to Reeser. And uh, you better believe all 22,000 at Reeser Stadium next year are going to be uh, booing the Trojans, and you just hope that it doesn't finish like 56 to 20, you know, that day. I'm curious to see how UCLA gets uh, greeted as well, especially when they play their, you know, fellow UC system foe Cal, which is Thanksgiving weekend, an alleged rivalry. And that game is in Berkeley this year, the UCLA at Cal game. Uh, I think UCLA is going to get uh, a world of booze as well, and frankly, uh, I think uh, they deserve it if you're a Pac-12 yeah. fan. I'll be curious to see how it goes. I, I am a little skeptical that the Pac-12 fan has got the passion that the fans of some of these other conferences have, but I also know that, look, I, USC got pushed around by Oregon State last year. Now USC's got to go to Oregon State this year, and I kind of wonder if the uh, Oregon State team's going to be flying around with a little extra chip on their shoulder. We'll see. Uh, let's go to Phil, who's in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Phil, what do you think? Hey, John, how you doing? Doing um, well. I, I, you know, the, the most galling part about this whole thing, and I do think that they will be booed, um, both UCLA and USC, lustily. Um, and I, I've, I've worked in media, television, radio for 34 years, so I think even the lay fan understands that, you know, money drives the bus and, and, and so does the TV rights. But the most galling thing is explaining to people where I'm from, and I, I grew up in New York, that USC and UCLA aren't really good. Uh, they haven't been really good at football in 15 years. I understand there's cachet to the USC name. And in basketball, 
yeah, UCLA sort of made a little bit of a turnaround. USC had one or two decent years. But I think the galling thing that makes me want to boo them is the hubris of we carry the L.A. market with us, and that's why we got this invitation, which I completely understand from a money standpoint. But from a performance standpoint, in a very naive way, it's not like you guys are leaving because you're the cream of the conference or the creme de la creme of the Pac-12. Quite frankly, USC football has been not good for a long time, and UCLA football really, John, isn't a thing. So what really irks me and will make me boo um, if I'm at Reese or if I'm at Austin is the fact that these two teams really didn't do it on their merits. Real briefly, John, it's like Texas. When Texas decided to leave the Big 12, it's like Texas hasn't been good in basketball or football <laughs> for a good five to ten years. Yeah. So that will make me angry, and I will boo them. Yep, and, and I don't blame you. I don't blame you a bit if you boo them. I also, uh, I also wonder about the other sports. Uh, I talked to an administrator at, uh, at UCLA today. I talked to an administrator at, at USC. And I'm kind of wondering uh, with these other sports uh, what's going to happen because they are getting dragged along for the ride. UCLA gymnastics, for example, UCLA baseball, for example, USC baseball and volleyball, for example. They are now looking at 1,800-mile trips, 2,000-mile trips instead of you know, playing within the conference footprint, and you can offer up Pullman or Seattle as, hey, uh, that's a that's a tough place to get to, or Pullman or Corvallis or Eugene, but, you know, we're not talking about 2,000 miles, 1,800 miles. So I think uh, I'm being told that the Big Ten is promising UCLA and USC that it will make some concessions. Peter Courtney, state senator, president of the Oregon Senate, Coming up next, leave it here. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. One of my favorite guests on this show over the years, and maybe your favorite guest on the show over the years because he often gives me hell is uh, Senator Peter Courtney. He has uh, served as the president of the Oregon Senate, longtime Oregon Senate president. He's retiring, but still on the job, still cares about this state, still cares about the Ducks, still cares about the Beavers, cares about you. 79 years old, Peter Courtney joining us. How you doing, Peter Courtney? Well, you know how I'm doing. Uh, I love the July 4th, and my holiday has been ruined. And thanks to SC and UCLA, it's been ruined. They wanted fireworks, and they sure created fireworks. So it's ruined my holiday. I'm not happy. What was your reaction when you heard it? Because I was a little bit in disbelief and expected that it would it would turn to be one of these things that was just talked about but doesn't doesn't happen. Where were you yesterday when you heard heard this? I was at a big event getting planning to go out. It was a fundraiser, I think, at Langdon Farms. I don't play golf, and I thought I saw something. And uh, I said it to the people around me, and they all went nuts, and they wanted to know where I got it from. I said, I don't know where I got it from. I don't know how to use this phone. 
But then I, I kept looking and it appeared again and again. So I went looking for John McIntano, and he wasn't really available. So I said, it appears they're going. And so that's what I, I was shocked. Everybody around me was shocked. These are all people from different walks of life. Nobody believed it. Nobody, everyone thought it was some kind of July, April Fool's Day come late. Or, you know, and, and, and so no one believed it. I mean, I got to tell you, they simply did not believe it. When I think of but this, they, yeah, go ahead. And by the end of the day, I talked to some of them. Everybody believed it, that's for sure. And it ruined a lot of golf games, I believe. I don't play golf, but a lot of strokes are missing off because people are so angry. Part of the uh, part of the problem for me here is I'm nostalgic. I'm a purist. I like tradition. I like the Pac-12 conference. I love that it was regional and it was the, the same members that essentially I grew up watching. And USC and UCLA leaving that um, threatens the whole thing. There's part of me from a nostalgia standpoint that's angry, loyalty standpoint. And then sports has just turned into money, money, money whether it's uh, the LIV tournament or, you know, it's it's major college football. It's just all about money. Fifty years ago, I came to Oregon, my Oregon, on the East Coast. Fifty years ago. And I, you say I'm loyal to Oregon. I sure am. I'm loyal to the Northwest, and I'm loyal to the West. Yes, I am. And I am tired of the East. Telling the West what to do. And this is exactly what's going That just infuriates Peter. Just infuriates me. Uh, so how does that play into your nostalgia? I don't know how. I am just telling you, the Rose Bowl, which is a sacred bowl, will no longer be a Rose Bowl. It'll be the Weed Bowl. And I don't mean the kind of weed you smoke. Because they've ruined it. I mean, I can't believe that UCLA, one of the great academic athletic institutions in the world, is going along with this shenanigans. And I also don't understand, with all the brain power in the Pac-12, that nobody knew this was going on. Nobody. And I find that unbelievable. I live in the world of politics. I'm pounded all the time because of transparency and being open, blah, blah, blah. I, 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 this is not the way the Pac-12 does things. The Conference of Champions, you realize the Pac-12, John Consano, has won more national championships collectively than by far any other conference. And these two schools want to blow that up. I, I, I don't, I don't, I can't talk about it. I, I really find it abhorrent and despicable. They should have at least gone to the conference and said, buy us out or do something, try to make us an offer just so we can stay. Did they, I don't know, did the Board of Regents approve this stuff? The presidents approved this stuff? The governor approved this stuff. I mean, I don't know what's going on. I called the president of U of O. We missed each other, but he left me a message. It's called him totally by surprise, out of the blue, he used. Never expected it. And now they're scrambling. I mean, really? Really? We've seen coaches in, you know, leave in, in ditch programs. We've seen players jump in the portal. Uh, now we're seeing universities uh, jump in the transfer portal and, uh, you know, usher off uh, halfway across the country to play with a different conference. Um, I'm not sure where this is all headed, but lawmakers in Washington are talking about trying to tie Washington and Washington State together because they're fearful that the Huskies could leave and 
they want the the Cougars to not be left behind and and Beavers fans I think are nervous and you know the Ducks probably more well positioned to uh, join uh, another conference if that that's going to be how do you have any feelings on that sure I have a lot of feelings on that I'm very concerned about Oregon State and Washington State I'm very concerned about them I think they have great students I worry about their student athletes many of whom come from this area this northwest and I'm very concerned about the situation with those two schools among other things and to me one one goes they all go or nobody goes I'd like to think that that's the kind of conference I don't know if this is the oldest conference in the country but it's got to be close to it John Consano the back 12 back eight back then it's got to be and its history is extraordinary. And I don't understand how you can, I mean, I do think, you know, a wealthy, the rich get richer. You've got some schools that aren't wealthy in the Pac-12, but they compete, and sometimes they surprise people in terms of what they win. But I think that they belong. Their, their academic programs belong. They're part of us. And I'm sorry, in a day and age where loyalty means nothing clearly, our accountability means nothing. Teamwork means nothing. Character means nothing. All that means anything is the almighty dollar. I mean, stop and think about it. Coaches and administrations and AD and presidents of universities talk about how they've got to build character in young people. They've got to be role models, et cetera, et cetera. But I got news for you. They, there's no loyalty anymore anywhere. And that's not, I mean, why don't you just make these teams professional football teams and be done with it? Somebody last night says, well, I'm going to pick the Super Bowl teams for next year. I don't know whether you pick Buffalo versus Green Bay. And I said, okay, I'm going to pick two, FC versus Michigan. And he started laughing. Because I got to tell you, the way this thing's going, hey, 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 hey. Yeah, it does feel like the the charm of college athletics. What I what I always loved about college football was, you, you know, you got a chance to see students who were playing a game. It wasn't professionals, and now we have introduced legislation, and I think it's fine to let players benefit from their name, image, likeness. And but I, but what I don't like is now we're getting a total reorganization in major college football where it's going to be, you know, two super conferences and now the Pac-12, as you mentioned, their heads are spinning and they're trying to figure out, do they join the Big 12? Uh, what do they do? Do they just continue to be the Pac-12 but without USC and UCLA? Um, I think it's problematic. Uh, what, you know, is, is there legally anything lawmakers could do here? I mean, along the lines of, uh, stepping in, you know, I'm kind of curious in California why the governor in California hasn't made a statement and why the regents of, you know, UC, the UC system were okay with UCLA leaving. Well, I, I called our governor last night, talked to her, and asked her to call the governor of California about it. And she said she would. I don't know Governor Newsom, so he's not going to talk to me, so I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, I don't. Don't forget, you've got probably the greatest all-around university in the world. Now, that's my opinion, but that's been said to me by some former presidents of major universities, and that is the University of California at Berkeley. That is an extraordinary school. If its sister, brother, UCLA, has gone and done that. I do not understand that. 
That that is incomprehensible to me how that could be allowed. Did Cal Berkeley go along with it? Did, did the governor go along with it? Did the Board of Regents go along with it? And if they did, how come this was such a shocker to all kinds of people? I don't I don't understand how you do this. FC is a private school, so I'm not talking much about them. I mean, I like the state, but I'm not talking. They're in a different world. So I, 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 if I were governor, well, that's that's always not a good thing to say. But if I were governor, I go. I would do everything I possibly could to hold them, and I would be talking to my legal team. I'd be talking to my legislative team. I'd be talking to my alumni. I talk to everybody to unload on this and try to at least stop the UCLA move, at least stop UCLA. But, you know. When Mario Cristobal left for Miami, you were upset. I think Chip Kelly leaving to go to the NFL, it was a little different because it was going to a different kind of uh, environment, different level of football. But where do you classify that? Is this a betrayal? Is this, is this a betrayal by UCLA and USC? For sure, it's a betrayal. I mean, give me a. What are you talking? For sure, it's a betrayal. Up and leave. Cut, we're just going to bolt this conference and go join some other conference in the middle of the night on a holiday. We sure it's a betrayal. I mean, these conferences rely on one another, do they not? For all kinds of reasons. And you're going to bolt. And uh, I mean, I it, it, it you 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 you're really ruining my day now. You now really got me worked up. A holiday's ruined, and now Cristiano's going to ruin probably the rest of the year. Because Cristobal, you know, you and I don't agree on Cristobal. You thought he was fine. Uh, no, Tiger. What about Tiger? You forgot about him? How about the fact that we don't recruit Oregon kids anymore? Maybe that makes me mad. The thing I love about the Oregon State programs, I'm sorry, their Beaver baseball team, et cetera, et cetera, is they have a lot of kids from Oregon or from the Northwest. And, you know, uh, it's like, well, we can't be in a conference out here because we can't win. And we can't have kids from out here because we can't win. So we're going to run off and join the Midwest, the East, or whatever you want to say. Because then, you know, we can get better talent and better money and blah, 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 blah. What in the blank does that say about the West Coast and the Western part of the United States? Are you kidding me? That is treachery. It's more than dishonesty. It's treachery. Treachery. Oregon, yeah, I'm here. Uh, Oregon and Oregon State are going to have to be part of this solution, figuring out what to do here. Do do you, are, if the best thing for Oregon and Oregon State is to leave the Pac-12 conference, do you support that, or do you think that they should stay tight and be a tent pole within this conference and and let it rip that way? Oh, I hope I want her to stay tight. I want her to stay tight because I can tell you. Uh, Oregon State's won national championships in baseball. Oregon gets a run on something. They win enough football games. I'm sorry, from a ranking standpoint, they can still make a real lot of noise in terms of the national championship. But all they got to do is break through in that in the football area, and you'll see what happens. You'll see what happens. Trust me. You'll see. That's all they got to do. And they're close. So please don't cut and run. Please don't go and abandon everything else that's part of made part of what has made this the conference of champions. I I beg them not to do that. And I don't know what they're gonna do with it. I talked to one of their trustees this morning for Oregon. She didn't even know this about didn't know anything about this. 
And, I, and she said, I got to look into this. And I said, well, I'm hoping that you really take this serious and don't just take some easy way out where there's a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. Show some loyalty because I am convinced that Oregon, Oregon State can win. It can be very competitive. And I'm talking, I mean, Oregon State got beat by Auburn. And I broke my heart. She shouldn't have, and she should have gone on the World Series of Baseball. That old school's done remarkable things in baseball, and I think you'd agree to that. And Oregon's track team, but I think Oregon's football team, really, you know, they're close. But even their men's basketball team, women's basketball team, give me a break. I don't, they don't need another conference to be great. They don't need it. And Oregon State doesn't need another conference to get to the point where they're really doing well at all. They don't need it. They don't need it. Peter Courtney, our guest, politician, lawyer, professor, uh, the longest-serving lawmaker in uh, in our state, 79 years old. By the way, you had a birthday. I didn't even wish you a happy birthday a couple weeks ago. Happy birthday. You don't wish me a happy birthday a week or two late. That's not a happy birthday. <laughs> I mean, that's like saying, oh, yeah. I mean, don't wish me something happy. <laughs> you didn't wish me happy on the day I was supposed to be happy. Don't say we, I mean, you don't. That's not how you make somebody happy. Is wish them to be happy. Well, what am I supposed to do? Happy. What am I supposed? What do I do when I forget your birthday? Am I just supposed to ignore it and then not say anything till next year, or do I go? Oh, hey, your birthday was you know about two weeks ago. Hey, happy birthday. Fess up, fess up. I blew it. You weren't that important to me for me to remember your birthday. Fess up. Say it. You're just not that big a person to me or in life. I'm putting your birthday. Maybe next year I'll get it. Maybe I won't. Maybe you won't even be here next year, Peter. If you are, maybe I'll remember. Maybe I won't. Fess up. I'm putting it in my calendar right now. Peter Courtney's birthday is going in there. All right, listen, I, I appreciate you coming on. I I really um, I respect your passion, not just your brain. I mean, you've you've served this state as a as a leader and a politician uh, for years, and you've done a whole bunch of good things that would take up three hours of radio to tell people about. But what I hear in your voice is the same stuff I've been hearing from people in the last 24 hours. I've been hearing people who are upset, they are frustrated, they're heartbroken, they don't know what to do, they don't know how to fix it, they wish they could. Um, everybody's spinning a little bit, and and I appreciate you coming on this show and and letting people hear what you what you think about this. Well, I, I'm not going to do any good, but thank you. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, 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 I got, oh, I'm going to write a letter to the commissioner of Pac-12. I'm going to call the president, talk to some AD to the best I can. Uh, I don't how I have to stop this mess. I don't know how else to stop this treachery. I don't. And you know what? Your lives are not going to be better. No, they're not. This isn't all about money. Look out. Look out. Look out. I love it. Peter Courtney. Oregon is have... Oregon's uniforms are not going to be special in the Big Ten. No, no, no. Go ahead and think that. Go ahead. Oh, no. No, no, no. And they've already got schools in there that got orange, black, so I don't know what they're going to do that. I mean, I could go on and on here. I don't know what they're thinking. And then the Big 12, I don't know. There's so many schools there that I don't even know. That they're not even going to know who they're playing the next week to week. Yeah. There's so many of them. And I don't understand. I don't understand, but 
I don't understand when you have the intimacy of Austin Stadium and the track stadium and the baseball stadium like we have at Oregon State, and even the new stadium they're building at Oregon State football. Intimacy. Why do you want to go and be not intimate anymore? You don't want to be intimate. You want to go where they can put thousands of people in the stands, over 100. And, you know, and, and, and why do you want to do that? There's nothing intimate about that. There's no human relations. I, I don't know. Why. why do you want to do that? But i got to go because I know you've got to go. Uh, have a happy holiday, you and your wife and your three daughters. And uh, I forgot a prescription to your column, but I can't figure out how to get it. So you're taking advantage of me. But, you know, at least I, JohnConzano.com. You go to JohnConzano.com. At my age, I don't know how to do that. I, I, I figured out the prescription. Gave you the money, Simpson, and because I wanted, I missed reading about you and reading your columns, and now I can't get your columns because they haven't right. All right, you got to, you got to show. Let, let somebody. Otherwise, I'm going to drop by your house and I'm going to show you how to, got to get it. Well, I got to get it because I'm not doing well without you reading your stuff one way or the other. Even though you've got a weird feeling about Cristobal, you and Cristobal, are you leaving us to go to Miami? <laughs> No, I'm not leaving for Miami. I understand going home. The guy wanted to go home. His mother was there. His brother is the police officer there. You know, he didn't grow up here. I know you're going to lecture me now, but he, you know, he wanted to go home. Did he leave home? He did leave home. Yes, he did. And he did leave home. And did he, by leaving home, did he, was he able to put himself in a position to make millions of dollars? Yes. So does he not owe something to somebody about that part of it? I mean, I don't, don't you, I mean, don't you think that's what the job was? Like he, he was coaching football games and you know, he, I think he fulfilled his, his obligation to Oregon because he coached games. No, and No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He ran out on Oregon. Taggart ran out and you know it. Don't say that. You know it. You believe it. But somehow he got you emotionally. You got this bond with him and that's fine, <laughs> but come on. No. No, How about Jonathan no. Smith? You like Jonathan Smith? He's he's I come like, back. I like Jonathan. Yeah. I like Jonathan Smith. Okay, you know, we agree like on that. We agree on I that. And well. No, I really I really like him. I want him to do well very much. Yes, I want him to do well. This that's the way I feel about. It. Yeah, Jonathan Smith is. Uh, I think he's on the uh, on the cusp of something big here, and I hope he. Uh, I hope they have a good season. All right, Peter Courtney, you have All a great right, you, you have a great Fourth of July. Happy early Fourth of July. Thank you very much for using the word happy, even though it's not the right day to use it. Goodbye. All right. There, <laughs> there he goes. Peter Courtney. Anna's coming up next. You got the bald face truth statewide. Love that guy. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, look who's back. Anna's popped into the studio. I'll take your phone calls as well at 503-417-7575. Peter Courtney, uh, 79-year-old Peter Courtney, the longest-serving lawmaker in the state of Oregon, a guy who has given his sweat and his blood and his brains to this state over the years, just joined us. Uh, he fires me up. I got a smile on my face every time he comes onto the show. <laughs> He's, uh, I like that he has the historical perspective and I'm not saying Peter Courtney, if you're listening that you're old Senator, but I just like that he has 
you know, that perspective, because I think that makes all the difference, especially in these crazy times. I think he is probably listening. He also, um, he called me the other day because he subscribed at johnconzano.com to read me, and then he said, how do I get this? I said, you just go to johnconzano.com. Like, how did you subscribe? And he was having one of his aides help him get it on email, and then the website. So I think he's I think he's joking with me, but if he's not, I'm gonna I'm gonna call him and I'm gonna say, listen, let me come to your house, and let me walk you through this. You're gonna be his personal <laughs> IT guy. Uh, has he checked his spam filter? No, it, no, there's no. It doesn't go not, to spam. Okay. It doesn't go to spam. It doesn't go to spam. It's not junk. Okay. It's not junk. Yeah. Doesn't go to spam. Okay. It's it it's very easy to find. If you yeah. sign up, you'll get it. Yes. You will get it. Uh, it it's. I think he's giving me a hard time for it. Let's go to the phone lines. Ed's in Lebanon, Oregon. Ed, go ahead. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I've got a couple of ideas that I think can solve this. A, NCAA steps in and says we have an 8, eight or 12-team playoff system and only two teams from each conference. That would stop the monopoly game that's going on between the Big Ten and the SEC. Okay? So that it's like basketball where Villanova – can play for the national championship if they're good enough, and they have. Um, so that means teams like Oregon State and Washington State can start the season with the goal of making the playoffs legitimately. I think you have to do that for college football and not just say, well, only the Big Ten and the, and the SEC will be represented. There will be four teams, two each from each conference, and that pretty well locks everybody out in this Unless Clemson backs in, yeah. Okay. And the, so the pro- but the problem with that is you started with the NCAA, Ed, and the NCAA does not have ownership or oversight of the playoff. The college football playoff uh, doesn't belong to them. It's going to belong to the TV partners of the SEC and the Big Ten, and that's why I think it becomes important for the Pac-12 to position itself because the playoff, when it does expand, if you want to have an automatic bid, and I think wherever the Ducks and the Beavers are playing, you're going to want an automatic bid. That is not going to involve the NCAA, unfortunately, because the NCAA is a toothless, weak entity. Yeah, I, I get you, and I figured it was the last word. I did not know the other part, yeah. but the last part you said, I've come to that conclusion. Yeah, it's it's just sad to me because it should. Like the Like, we grow up as kids watching college football, and we hear the NCAA, and we go, oh, that's the governing body of college athletics. That's They're, they're in charge. They'll give the oversight. But it's much the same uh, as the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Like you grow up thinking the commissioner of Major League Baseball is there for the good of the game. No, he's not. He's there for the owners. Same with the NFL. Keith's in Portland. That opens the line at 503-417-7575. Keith in Portland, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, John, for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, thank you. Yep. Um, you know, born in L.A., raised my kids here in Eugene, Oregon. I'm a Duck fan, but first and foremost, I'm a fan of the Pac-12, and I root for all the Pac-12 teams when they play other conferences. So if FC and UCLA came to our state again, I would boo them just because of the healthy rivalries over the history of the Pac-12. But when it comes for time for the last games against them, I would boo. 
But at game's end, I would applaud the student athletes from SC and UCLA and wish them well, because believe it or not, maybe it's just me, when they leave, they are an extension of the Pac-12. You can take SC and UCLA away from the Pac-12, but you can't take the Pac-12 out of their resolve. After all, this is the Conference of Champions. I hope they do well and wish them well. I don't mind Oregon being the Clemson of the Pac-12. Look at what Clemson has done in the playoffs. Yeah. As mentioned earlier, as possible solutions, the Pac-12 needs to hunker down and get to work. Cherry pick from the Big 12 and ACC. Long live the Pac-12. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, appreciate that, Keith in Portland. Uh, 503-417-7575 is the number. That is one of the models. Like, if you are the Pac-12 conference and you're Oregon, one of the one of the advantages Oregon has had in the last decade to 20, 15 years, let's call it 15, is – the, the rest of the Pac-12 has been underfunded, but Oregon's advantage is Phil Knight. He's the great equalizer. He has come in and supported Oregon at a rate that is greater than their peers. And as a result of that, I think Oregon has risen in the Pac-12. I was telling a friend today, I think there are three outliers in the Pac-12 that have all benefited from the revenues being down. Oregon is at the top of the list. Oregon has benefited more than anybody by the Pac-12 media rights packages not being on par because USC, UCLA, Washington, others have suffered a little bit because the money's just not there. The revenue's not there. But Oregon is subsidized heavily by Phil and Penny Knight, and as a result, I think they've done okay and even risen a little bit within the conference in the last decade because of this. Last 15, 20 years, it's been Oregon's time, so to speak. The other outlier is Utah. Utah just has a different fan base. You know, I was doing a piece earlier this week. I was working on something about soft ticket season ticket sales before this all broke. Like, Oregon's having trouble with season ticket sales. Washington State having trouble. Washington having trouble. Everybody's down. But Utah has a wait list of 5,000 fans. So Utah gets that same subsidization, but it's, it's their fan base, not, not one booster. So I think Utah has risen a little bit as well. Further, the third outlier is Washington State. And what Washington State did that others did not is Washington State uh, mortgaged its future. Like Bill Moose, who was the AD at Washington State years ago, literally uh, started these big capital projects that, you know, the bill is coming due and they're having trouble now because the bill's coming due. But Washington State improved its facilities and then it hired a coach, Mike Leach, who made some of the disadvantage financially not matter because he was a savant. He was just a little different. He was a head coach who was a play caller. Therefore, Washington State didn't have to have uh, two big salaries on the offensive side of the ball. They didn't have to pay a head coach $4 million and then a play caller another million dollars. They had Mike Leach. He was doing both jobs, and and he was a great equalizer. So it comes in many forms and fashions, and I think that's why those three programs had upticks at different points in the last 15 years. Um, you could even uh, hold up Washington and Chris Peterson as an example of that as well, but I think in this last cycle we've seen Jimmy, Lee, uh, Jimmy Lake and – and then now Kalen DeBoer, so I think there's been some disruption to that. But it's not a surprise to me that Oregon, Utah, and Washington State have all kind of risen up a little bit in the last decade uh, relative to their peers in the conference. Now, I still think if, if the Pac-12 did nothing, if it just became the Pac-10 again and went out and had a subpar media rights negotiation, I think it would kill 
Oregon State, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado. I mean, it would kill those schools. But I still think Oregon is going to have that subsidy known as Phil and Penny Knight. And I think Oregon could emerge as a Clemson-like force in football under Dan Lanning. I think that's still on the table. It's not ideal. You're playing with one arm tied behind your back when you don't have a conference. But I think there's a chance there. Am I spinning that too hopeful, Anna? I don't think so. Um, but I do wonder, like, is the Pac-12 now reaching out to other schools in the Western Hemisphere trying to shore up, you know, some additions to the conference? Like... Boise State or other schools, yeah, they, are the, they interested? This morning, the Pac-12 uh, sent out a uh, – the Pac-12 met this morning. The Pac-12 CEO group had a meeting with George Klyovkov this morning. Pac-12 issued a statement uh, about four hours ago, and they said they met. They are exploring all options. But here's the problem. This is not about adding good football teams. USC and UCLA haven't been that good. Let's be real. But this is not about adding, um, just adding teams to round out your, to get to 12. This is about adding television markets. Right. That Boise TV market. Not big enough. And that's the problem. And San Diego's okay, but it's also a smaller TV market as if well. If you could get San Diego State to play in L.A., now, mm-hmm. and people in L.A. care about them, then, then you got a shot. But this isn't UCLA. This isn't USC. Pepperdine. Cal State Fullerton, Irvine, LMU, that's, you know, there's not enough there, right? Yeah. And so you have, you have an issue because first, the first question has to be who brings a TV market? Right. So you literally just need to look at the Nielsen TV markets and go, okay, where are the top markets in the country where there are teams who potentially could join the Pac-12? It's not Boise. It's not Fresno. It's not San Diego State. You've got to start looking elsewhere, and that's why I think this merger with the Big 12 makes sense because you'd be bringing in Texas Tech, Baylor, Houston. You'd be, you know, Cincinnati. You, you start to look at their footprint of the Big 12. It's not geographically uh, convenient, but you would get the state of Texas, and you'd get some TV markets. Oklahoma State would be on the table, and then you have in basketball Kansas available they would be a draw that would replace ucla seemingly but so it's tv markets more than anything i think what's becoming patently clear is the devastating effect that larry scott and his dealings that you wrote about years ago and the impact that his poor decision making has on the conference now i mean look at look at what has happened they're paying a bill now they stuck with larry scott for about six at least six years too long. I was calling for Larry Scott to be replaced. Gosh, I could remember it was before his last five-year contract, so it was like midway through his tenure. I said, this guy, uh, they're going to fall behind. Like, I could see it. And I went on Petros Papadakis' show today earlier, and I did I did radio in Salt Lake City, and I did Sirius XM, and Larry Scott's coming up in all those conversations. And it's it's really sad to me that, the Pac-12 stuck with a leader who just drove them into the ground. And he did really well negotiating for his own compensation package, but he left them in a media rights conundrum that doesn't expire until 2024. And his whole plan all along, he kept saying, like people kept saying, aren't you willing to rip the deal up and renegotiate? Like the landscape's changed on you. Yeah. Uh, you know, the college football playoff came in. When he first negotiated the deal, it was a BCS system. Like right. suddenly you could see what was going to happen in college athletics, and he was saying, no, 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 we're going to play this out. 
and then we'll negotiate in 2024. Well, that strategy has now left them without USC and UCLA. It's really sad. And, and, you know, it's one thing, like, you wrote about, like, what he was able to negotiate for himself. And, yeah, it was amusing, right, to talk about, you know, the penthouse suite or whatever that he was staying in and how he wouldn't even stay at games, you know, after halftime and whatnot in smaller media markets. Sure. But, like, this has a real impact. This has a real impact on the student-athletes that are going to have to travel these distances and miss class time and you know, go travel to the East Coast for these games, like, and for yeah. the sports other than just football. Like, I know everybody cares a lot about football, but there's a lot of sports, like at USC and UCLA, that are dominant in their own respective rights. And what this does, it, it just is so, it, it's going to be really challenging, I think, for those student-athletes. I think it's well put. Uh, I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. That's coming up. You got the bald face truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Let's take some phone calls. Anna's in the studio. I want to know what you're thinking about the Pac 12 conference. We'll get to Blazers, we'll get to NBA free agency coming up. But you tell me, where is your mind? Let's go to Mark in Portland. The number's 503-417-7575. Mark in Portland, go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, I just I, I want to go back to 1998 real quick when they we made the decision to give up the Rose Bowl. To this day, it's the only real and true playoff game. The Big Ten champion against the Pac-10 champion back then, outright, no matter what, those two teams were in the Rose Bowl. Now we, we, we gave that away for what they lied to us and told us was going to be a playoff. It was a, a figure skating committee that picked two teams. They shafted the Ducks in 2001. I still believe that was their best team. They were the clear-cut team uh, with one loss, an outright champion, but they took a team that didn't win their own conference. They did the same thing in 2003 to USC when they were number one in both polls. So they they are dictating what's happening, and now – you, you know, I don't follow this as closely as you, obviously, but it's this deal is made with certain people knowing and a lot of other people not knowing. It just the corruption is unbelievable to me, John, and it just seems like who knew about UCLA and USC uh, talking about going to the Big Ten? Did Bill Hancock at the BCS know? That's the questions that I have because they're so corrupt to me. I go back to how they rigged Oregon out of the one chance to play for a national title in the Rose Bowl, that that still irks me. And it just, the corruption just continues. So when you talk about Oregon State and Washington State, they're, they're going to be, now they're not going to have a chance. Well, they don't have a chance today. They have no chance to get in that playoff unless they go undefeated. And, and depending on the situation with the rest of the conferences and how things play out, they could be left out as an undefeated team. They're going to be treated like, they're in the WAC conference regardless of, of how this shakes out. I mean, yeah, yeah. And I think you're right, too, in that the, part of the frustration is that you feel like these decisions are being made, uh, you know, in, in a closed circle by, you know, it's like Roy Kramer in the, uh, yeah, the BCS. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's, the corruption's unbelievable. I, I know how Oregon got shafted because I really looked into it in 2001. Three guys, David Rothman, 
Peter Wolf and Jeff Sargon. They purposely ranked them eighth, ninth, and ninth. If they'd have ranked them fifth or sixth, they'd have been in the title game. They had to okay. blow okay. out. Okay, I'm going to tell you something that's going to help you. You're going to have to let that one go. <laughs> I'm just telling you the question. <laughs> it's 20 years later, man. I know, but it, it just angers me, man. I mean, those guys have been prosecuted. I mean, it's I know. ridiculous to me how great the game was. I'm trying to help him. Thank you, Mark. I'm trying to help Mark. He should get on the phone with Senator Courtney. They can commiserate <laughs> together. I just love, though, that he knows the names of the people who, yeah. didn't, who didn't rank Oregon high enough. Love the passion. Love the passion. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Uh, let's go to Randy, who's in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Go ahead, Randy. Hey, John. I was uh, just thinking about the possibility of merging with the Big 12, and uh, it just seems really unlikely that a TV deal could be worked out that would be beneficial to the Big 12. I think they're getting about, last year they got about $34.5 million a team, probably going up. You had 10 Pac-12 schools, you'd have to pay them each at least that amount to, you know, so the TV deal would have to come up with another $350 million or $400 million just to, just to add the, you know, the Pac-12 teams that aren't all that marketable anyway, a lot of them. So I, it just seems like a big mouthful for a network to take on that load. Uh, I could see maybe uh, a few teams drifting off to the Big 12, especially the mountain schools and the desert schools. I think that's a real danger. We left with six, <laughs> six schools trying to make a conference. But if the league can hold together with 10, they could play a round-robin schedule. And, uh, you know, it would be kind of attractive in some ways. Keep, keep the old uh, rivalries going. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting, too. Um, you know, it's it's not coincidental, I don't think, that we've got transfer portal, name, image, likeness. We have uh, the college football playoff uh, suddenly in this position of, um, you know, reorganizing its system. You have conferences now that are looking for new revenue sources. You have... You know, USC and UCLA, talk about the tradition of the Rose Bowl, 107 years of Pac-12 conference history. Um, you know, I think the overarching theme here is that we're watching money uh, trump loyalty. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, everything has changed, and I, I just wonder, though, like about the attractiveness of the Pac-12 and the media markets that are in the Pac-12. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's anything to shrug at, considering that the Pac-12 does have Seattle as a media market. It does have Phoenix as a media market. You know, these aren't things to just be cast aside. Those are pretty healthy media markets, uh, as well as Cal, as long as Cal stays in the picture. Yeah, and so when you look at that list of media markets, you and I were looking on the commercial break, it, it becomes evident, like, if you're the Pac-12, not only do you need to think expansion, but you need to hold on to the Seattle media market. You need to hold on to Phoenix. You need to hold on to the Bay Area. And, and then you need to start looking at, okay, where are the opportunities? Um, for People may know that Rutgers is in the Big Ten Conference. Rutgers is not in the Big Ten because the Big Ten went, well, we've got to have the we got to have this great football program and basketball program at Rutgers. They're in the Big Ten because the Big Ten wants the New York media market. So where are those opportunities, Anna, as you think about the larger markets uh, in the country? Where are the opportunities? What cities come to mind? 
Well, I mean, obviously with L.A. being, you know, the number two media market and Phoenix being the largest media market in the Pac-12 conference currently sitting at number 12, um, that's that's pretty attractive. You know, Seattle's not far behind there at a media market at, at 14 in size. And we're talking about, according to the Nielsen media market rankings, you're taking into account the population of a particular media market. There are 201 media markets nationally. I think places like Glendive, Montana are at the bottom of the list. But, you know, when you look at San Francisco and San Jose where Cal sits, I mean, that is the number six media market in the country. By contrast, Portland has always hovered around, you know, 22, 23 uh, in that area. All right, now so, it's at 25. Yeah, so I, I think if you are the Pac-12, you want to look top 20 markets, okay? So you're looking at places like Houston. That's the eighth largest market. You're looking at Dallas-Fort Worth. That's the fifth largest market. Now, and, and we're talking by definition there. We're talking about um, Houston. We're talking about Baylor. We're talking about Texas Tech. We're talking about, you know, the University of Houston. And then it's interesting, too, because the University of Central Florida is part of the Big 12 Conference. That's <laughs> one of the teams they're taking in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so, again, we're looking at, you know, the Tampa-St. Pete market as, uh, you know, it, that's market 11. That's why the Big 12 was interested there. Um, there would be some redundancy because you have Utah. Which, which is in Salt Lake City, and you'd be adding BYU because the Big 12 has them. But we got to go to commercial break. We'll be right back. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Take some phone calls. Troy is in Eagle Point. Troy, what's on your mind? Yeah, actually, I'm, uh, I kind of want to stay a traditionalist and uh, want to see the Pac-12 stay together and maybe try and add some teams. Um, uh, I, I kind of came up with something. I, I called it the Super Pack, basically. So you have a coastal division, which consists of Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, Cal, Stanford, Fresno State, and San Diego State. Then you have an inland division, which consists of Arizona, Arizona State, Boise State, Utah, Utah State, Colorado, Colorado State, and North Dakota State. Um, all teams play each other in the division, which is eight games. Um, all schools aggressively schedule Big Ten, Big 12, and SEC non-conference games, if possible. Um, and then you have a divisional, divisional championship game for each of those divisions, and then a conference championship game. And uh, I'll take your comments offline. Yeah, I, 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 I think it works in theory because you have the right teams and you have whatever. But it doesn't work from a revenue standpoint because you're by adding Fresno State, Boise State, San Diego State, or whoever you're adding, you're not adding a television market that, that brings additional revenue and exposure to your conference. And that becomes the problem. And I think it's 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 a hang-up that I think a lot of people get caught on. I also think the Pac-12 presidents are not going to be okay taking Boise State into the Pac-12. They're just not. Fresno State, whatnot. And, and, it, and I'm not saying that as, like, I'm an elitist. I went to a state school in California. They wouldn't take my school either because it's not a research institution. It's not an AAU school. Keep an eye on that, too, as they go to 
add members potentially. Coming up, Anna and I will do the five at five, and we'll take more of your phone calls. Leave it here. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. We're going to take your phone calls. We're going to do the five at five. Anna, it, it's a hard concept to get listeners, I think, to understand that this isn't about just finding teams to to round out the Pac-12 conference. It's about television markets. It's about money. It's about households. It's about eyeballs. It's about money. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it's charming. I think it's awesome that everybody feels so passionate about this and they're calling in and they're literally like thinking up solutions and trying to figure out what the path forward is. I mean, frankly, in a few years, are we going to have conferences at all the way this is all going? But it's almost like you have to sit down and think about it purely through the lens of a TV network executive. Like that is what is driving the bus on all of this ESPN and, you know, their mission, which is to get people to watch ESPN as much as possible, um, is driving the bus on, on most of this. And so it's not just a matter of adding universities and trying to fill out the numbers, um, but it is literally the size of the media markets, which you can look up. Um, if you look up the Nielsen ratings system, you can see where the largest media markets are in the country. And that is what is the determining factor in these conference realignments yeah. that we are seeing. Yeah, and I love, too, that people are trying to solve the problem. I love it. They're penciling it out. They've got a, you know, they got a notepad, sticky note. I know. They're going, okay, I'm going to put Boise State in there. Yeah. And, and it's great. And, and again, the other thing that, that I think the old guard that we're all hung up on, is and I'll include myself in it. Is we're we're hung up on geography. Yes. It the geography of the Big Ten taking the LA schools will will always bother me. Yeah. And I asked uh, an athletic department staffer at UCLA this morning, you know, how is that going to be for your volleyball team, your you know your uh, baseball team, whatnot? And they said, well, the Big Ten's making concessions. And I'm like, what? They're going to hold the games in you know, like you know Utah. Like, where are they going to hold these games? Wyoming? Well, I to, mean, you know what I mean? With name, image, likeness, and big money being infused into the whole process, I, I mean, don't you think it's realistic that donors will step in and figure out how to fly these these teams yeah, but, pretty regularly on private jets to wherever they need to compete? Yeah, but it's not a football team. I mean, we're talking about, like, you know, we're talking about tennis and volleyball and yeah, golf. Yeah, I know, you know non-revenue generating yeah. sports. So you're gonna have a bunch of charters flying around the country with like four tennis players on them. You know, it's, I just at some point I'm kind of going, this feels a little insane. It it is insane, but I think yeah. that's what if you're going to be trying to recruit, you know, uh, athletes, you're going to have to try to offer this because their quality of life is directly impacted. By these realignments. Let's go to Pat, who's in Northeast Portland. Pat, what's on your mind? Uh, hey, hey, John, Nana, how are you doing? Hi. Good. Hey, um, you know, uh, two things uh, that, that caught my that caught my attention is when Larry Scott, the biggest mistake he made when he was there, 
was when he let uh, Texas and Oklahoma go. Yeah. If he would have let them come in and get that, you know, their television station, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now at all. And w- one other thing is, it, it kind of uh, makes me think is, well, John, I know you know this, that it, when Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington State, and uh, uh, Idaho got kicked out of the Pac-10 uh, or Pac-8, whatever it was, back in 1959. So this is back to the future again. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, and look, I, I think this landscape, the thing, the other thing that bothers me about the landscape is th- I feel like the, the Pac-12 should have seen this coming. I mean, we've been talking about it on this show. I'm not saying specifically USC, UCLA, but they should have seen that somebody was going to come poach. And then, you know, George Klyovkov, even though he's come in the wake of Larry Scott and there's a lot going on, I kind of feel like, you know, the quote I got this morning in the column at johnconzano.com about, uh, you know, the USC administrator saying they never asked us uh, what we wanted in the next media rights deal. They never asked us, you know, would we want a larger share? Like, they didn't consult with us. I, I have a feeling USC and UCLA, while they're being booed and villainized or vilified, they're going to lean on that and go, well, we wanted to stay, but nobody asked us what we wanted in order to stay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't they kind of holding out? Like the rest of the conference was trying to move forward with the media rights deal and maybe USC and UCLA, were they holding out no. and not not No, but they Everybody to? every team in the conference gets an equal share. Mm-hmm. And the comment that came this morning from an administrator at USC was, "Hey, we have a higher cost of living. We have higher taxes." And we account for 60 to 70% of the television households in the conference. Why should we have just received an equal share? Like nobody from the conference came to us and said, hey, what do you want? Because they felt like maybe they, uh, they said it was, a, it was a mistake, that they were not, uh, that they were not, I guess, treated better. That's interesting. In the end. Yeah. But it, interesting, too, that their statement talks about their brand moving forward. Yeah. They're concerned about their brand. They're concerned that their brand is not going to advance as well and not allow them to be leaders as much as they would, you know, in the Big Ten if they had stayed with the Pac-12. We're going to do the five at five now. Are you ready for it? Are you sure. St- are you stretched out? No, we're good. Okay, we're oh, good. Stretched are out, you yes. ready? Are you warmed up? Am I in an athletic stance? Are you in an athletic stance and warmed up? <laughs> yes, sure. All right, let's do this. The five at five. The five at five. Well, the Pac-12 conference issued a statement today. The Pac-12 conference said that this morning its leadership, it, and, it, and it mentioned it by name, ten, it's ten conference presidents and chancellors, not 12, 10, met this morning to discuss all things, including possible expansion. Pac-12, you know, it was reeling yesterday. Probably the world's still spinning around it today. The Pac-12's got to get busy living, or it's going to get busy dying, so to speak. Pac-12 conference met today. They say they have figured some things out, and they're moving forward with all options on the table. Do you believe them? Anna, number two, go. Uh, Miles Bridges, the mother of his two children, is sharing really disturbing images of the injuries that she claims to have suffered at his hands. 
She says she has a fractured nose and wrist, a severe concussion, and more. Really sad stuff. Uh, he's, of course, been arrested on felony charges for domestic violence, but um, just awful. I mean, if you're in a situation like that where you're being abused, then you should really seek help, get help. Help is out there. And we'll be curious to see how this plays out in the, the criminal courts. The Charlotte Hornets restricted free agent Miles Bridges has been charged with felony domestic violence. Los Angeles uh, County has uh, arrested him. And, you know, this is not the primary thing, but I, I just found it interesting that he's a restricted free agent and he's got this going on. Speaking of free agency, uh, number three in our five at five, Gary Payton III headed to Portland. That's right. GP3 leaving the Warriors in free agency, signed with the Trailblazers. Sorry, GP2. GP2, GP3. How many GPs we got? Uh, <laughs> GP2 leaving the Warriors, headed to Portland. I'm hearing a little skepticism on the GP2 front. But he's not going to fill the same role with the Blazers that he filled with the Warriors. I think he'll have an expanded role with the Blazers, given that the Warriors were uh, uh, a little deeper in his position, maybe, so to speak, or maybe had a, you know, a Hall of Fame player at his position. The Blazers, I think, will use him a little differently. I think you'll see him on the floor at times alongside Damian Lillard and at times not as a backup, but adds a really good defender. Um, a guy that the Warriors leaned on in the playoffs. I know Warriors fans were bummed about seeing GP2 leave. But this is like George Foreman's kids. GP2, GP3, <laughs> GP4. There's a GP Junior, too, remember? There you go. Anna, <laughs> number four in our five at five. Go. Well, this caught my eye. Uh, largest deal in NBA history, a five-year $270 million super max contract extension. That's going to two-time MVP Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets, according to Woj. Says that's what his agents are telling him. Five years, $270 million. I can't even wrap my head around yeah, that. Yeah, I'm talking about the money in sports now. It just exploding. Finally, our fifth thing in uh, our five at five, Venus Williams. She arrived at Wimbledon last week to watch her sister play. She had no intention of competing, but she had a change of heart. She saw the grass. She said she got excited. She reached out to Jamie Murray, a five-time major mixed doubles and two-time doubles champion, to see if he could play with her, and they agreed. In front of a packed crowd on the number one court, they won today in a first-round match that lasted two hours, 18 minutes. It was her first match since August of 2021. Venus and Serena had both talked about retirement, but then they both played at Wimbledon. Good for them. I kind of think Serena not being as effective as she should have been may have inspired Venus to go, you know what? There's nothing to lose. I'll get out there. I got to think that was hard for Venus over the years because Serena became so dominant. Like Venus was an incredible player herself. She still is. Yeah. But Serena was Serena was better. She was more dominant. But Serena struggling, 
Venus gets out on the court, plays some doubles. I just love it. It's so spontaneous like that. Yeah. I feel like playing at Wimbledon. I feel like I feel like going for a run today. So, I mean, she's obviously been staying in shape and taking care of herself and doing the training necessary, you would presume, to just, Maybe. you know, off the cuff, like, oh, I saw the grass, I got excited, I'm going to join in. My sister didn't do so well. Yeah, but maybe, <laughs> I once, I was at a, I was at an MMA fight one time. Yeah. And they, you know, I'm there as a media member, I'm covering this thing, and, and one of the undercards, somebody didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And so they were going to have to cancel one of the bouts on the undercard. But then they found a guy in the crowd who had been training, I guess, yeah. and they pulled him out and said, do you feel like fighting? <laughs> and he, the, the sad, the good part was he had been training. Yes. The bad part was he had just eaten a foot-long Subway sandwich <laughs> right before they came to him and said, hey, do you want to fight tonight? So he got in the octagon. I'm not making this up. He got in the octagon, and he was really good for about 60 to 90 seconds. He was really good. Yeah. He looked like he could hang. Yeah. Then all of a sudden he got in trouble. He got beat up and he threw up. <laughs> <laughs> so he lost his lunch. Couldn't stick And he it. lost the fight. Well. But, and after the fight I went and interviewed him because I was like, what the hell? I got to talk to this guy. I got pulled out of the crowd. This is crazy. And he was like, yeah, I was just here watching. And they were like, hey, we know you train at that one gym. Right. You know, so-and-so isn't going to fight tonight. <laughs> Do you want to weigh in? He did. And therein lies the yeah. difference between somebody who actually can sustain competition yeah. versus somebody who's just in training. I got to think <laughs> Venus Williams laid off the Subway sandwich before her doubles match. <laughs> That's the difference. All right, coming up next, Portland State's athletic director, John Johnson. He's new on the job. I'm going to ask him about the Pac-12. I'm going to ask him about his mission at Portland State. Can they find a football stadium? And by the way, what's it like to grow up with five sisters? John Johnson next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. A lot of stuff to get to on today's show, so it's going to move fast here in the last uh, 40 minutes or so. Our next guest is the new athletic director at Portland State. John Johnson, got some experience in the Big Sky Conference. He's been at Washington State. He's been at Nebraska. He joins us now. I'm going to ask you about this Big Ten thing, but let's first start with Portland State. Like, uh, you know, you got boots on the ground. Uh, Give me an idea when you're starting a job like this. uh, Year one, what are you focused on? Well, first off, thank you for having me on on, on your radio show and like to wish everybody a happy Fourth of July, um, but yeah, you know, spending the first time uh, in in a while in the Big Sky Conference, you know, I'm taking the time to really assess, listen, and learn. Uh, uh, lucky enough uh, in my first two or three weeks to be at the Big Sky Conference uh, spring meetings to get a feel for the league and see what changes and thoughts are different than when I was there last. Uh, but also, most importantly, getting a feel for Portland State. Uh, I've been, and which I have done at all the stops I've been, really spending time, and I've listened and learned sessions with each unit. So I get to know the staff, uh, talk about the positives, advantages, challenges that we might have, and it really helps you get a jump on it rather than, as we talk about in athletics, going through a, a, a cycle um, it just gives a better feel for uh, 
you know, the program, et cetera, particularly when I came kind of late in the, in the year. Uh, you know, some of the planning is done, scheduling is done, et cetera, but uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it's great to be back in the Northwest. I, I think it's interesting to, you know, Portland State's at a time where we're all kind of wondering, you know, what's the model, where do they fit in college athletics? You're watching, you know, the the uh, landscape in football, especially shifting before our eyes. Where do you sort of see Portland State in in the landscape? Well, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I really, you know, I've been lucky enough to be at uh, both levels as a player in the Big Sky Conference and many years as an athletic director and then at the Power Five, but at various levels of the power five in a couple of leagues, but you know, the changes from a football standpoint and we're kind of known by football, our designations determine where we're at. And, and uh, uh, you know, we're talking about 60 or perhaps 70 schools at a certain level. And there's another 300 division one schools that are more like the big sky conference, more like Portland state than not. And, really believe there's a home for uh, schools like us and the AAAs. And, and quite frankly, I believe, and we said this at our Big Sky meetings, uh, that, you know, America kind of likes the collegiate model. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's the Big Sky and the one AAAs, et cetera. I really believe that... Uh, there's a home for us. We just got to wait for everything to settle in. And there's a place for football at uh, not only the FCS level or the one double a, we used to call it, but also division two NAIA and division three. John Johnson, our guest, Portland state's athletic director. You grew up with five sisters. What is that like? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, and no brothers, but uh, wonderful uh, wonderful experience, and uh, uh, quite frankly, there were some days where I spent a lot of time with my dad. We were outnumbered uh, six to two, uh, so we didn't have many votes. But uh, Oliver Mern Spokane and took care of my elderly parents, and really proud to be called their brother. But it was a challenge at times. That my mom always said, uh, "I'm going to keep you tired," because I was a little bit rambunctious, and that's how I got involved in sports. So. Uh, all my sisters were involved in sports at different levels, and sports were important to us. And my mom and dad didn't have the opportunity uh, to compete uh, uh, at the places that they were at, although my dad did do some cowboying in, in uh, Wyoming when he was a young man. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a challenge uh, uh, for sure at times, particularly with one bathroom. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, look, I, but I also think you learn you learn compromise, you learn problem solving, don't you? When you're when you're in a dynamic like that, uh, John Johnson is with us. Uh, let me ask you: you're you're watching the Pac-12 lose UCLA yeah. and USC. You were at Nebraska. You were at Washington State. Um, there's part of this that I find sad, but it is, I guess, the reality of this this uh, era of college athletics. What do you make of all that? Well, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, I didn't see it coming. And uh, on uh, Monday and Tuesday, there were many of us at NACTA, which is our National Association of Collegiate Director of Athletics, and saw many of our colleagues from not only the Big Ten, uh, uh, also the SEC, but also the Pac-12. 
and had conversations, some of my friends from the Mountain West as well, and they didn't see this coming. And certainly I didn't either. It was a great, uh, uh, a great secret, but it is. It, it was unique. Um, I guess as you look back and think about it, the scheduling alliance might have opened the doors that the Big Ten and the ACC created with the Pac-12 after the uh, SEC uh, expanded with Texas and Oklahoma. But, yeah, it does, because I think sports are wonderful because they're regional. And as I go back to your last question that, you know, I, I really believe that there's a home for all of us. And I'm, I go back to the, the NSA tournament and why it's important to CBS Sports, et cetera, is because that tournament's and there's interest in the tournament in uh, Pocatello, Idaho, and Cheney, Washington, and Seattle and Portland, Lexington, Kentucky as well. So it's more broad-based. And uh, uh, certainly uh, the days are gone when, you know, conferences are really regional. I think alignments are happening for at that level for sure for the financial trade-offs. Um, you know, I'm not going to speak to the – Pac-12 and what's gone on with their media rights. It's been a few years since I've been there, but certainly it's uh, well documented that they were a bit behind compared to some of the other conferences. But certainly we're moving towards the time of super conferences. We thought, quite frankly, that was going to happen, I believe, and it was just a matter of how it was going to shake down. We're talking to John Johnson, Portland State's athletic director. What did you learn at Washington State in Nebraska that you can use at Portland State? Well, I think, you know, two different situations uh, for sure. Uh, loved my time at Washington State growing up in Spokane. Had great friends there. Jim Sturk, who was a colleague of mine uh, uh, in the Big Sky Conference, hired me there, and it was kind of fun to go home and go uh, to uh, 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 back to, to Washington State, and then Bill Moose took me to Nebraska. Really, two different parts of the country. And I will say this, John: I really believe that all athletic departments, all the issues are the same. Some just have an extra zero, and I really believe that many of the issues are the same. And I think it, at those levels, uh, because of the amount of resources you have, not only in financial but in people resources, you come up with more creative ways to get stuff done. And I think that's what has taught me that I'd look at media differently than I did if I hadn't been at the Power Five. I look at uh, approaches in fundraising, social media, t selling tickets that you experience at those levels. And, you know, Nebraska has been sold out since 61. And then at Washington State, you know, we had some challenges and, and, and did some great facilities and made the programs better and, quite frankly, very competitive. And we had our challenges as well, and we became very creative there. And I think I can take some of those best of both to Portland State as kind of a resource of, you know what, we did it this way. Have we thought about this? How do we use campus? How do we get more ingrained in campus and in the community? Because, uh, you know, Portland State is was developed for the city of Portland, and we need to be integrated in the city and be part of the solutions in the future. Speaking of solutions, you've got a football team playing out in Hillsboro. You've got a draw there. Yeah. You want to draw crowds there. How do you draw to Hillsboro, and how do you support Bruce Barnum's program as the AD? Well, I think, I think number one, you know, I need to get through a season. Uh, 
unfortunately, when I was in the league and also as a student athlete, you know, I competed in Civic Stadium. So, uh, you know, haven't been to a game there. Uh, uh, came late enough in the year I didn't even get to a softball game there. So, you know, I need to review and assess that. But certainly we're going to be very targeted in our approach, working with my team. I have a couple of positions that I think will be very crucial to our uh, long-term success and our strategic planning as we move forward. Um, Associate AD for external, which will help bring ticketing, et cetera, uh, position and fundraising, as well as a deputy director of athletics that will work in the internal areas to, to give me another set of eyes in the department, but then I can focus on the external areas, which, you know, I think is, is key, but need to evaluate that and see, okay, what, it, what is the best approach for Portland State going into the future? What options do we have? Uh, there's, um, you know, two or three options that are going on uh, uh, right now. Uh, uh, just evaluating all that as, you know, pretty new to the program and want to get through part of a season anyway. To support, you know, uh, Bruce Barnum in football, I think, you know, what are the things that we need to do to make the program better? And uh, can't do everything all at once, but we've spent a lot of time, and hey, this this would really help us. Little things such as, you know, weight room and fueling stations, uh, helping in recruit recruiting, uh, having experience uh, as a, a student athlete, I think really is beneficial. Plus, you know, I understand Bruce. You know, we. Uh, 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 played under the same coach. We we have very similar philosophies from a football standpoint. Clearly, I don't do any coaching and don't profess to be, but at least I have a feel for the sport and some of the things that make you better. And I think one thing that has happened since the last time I was at Portland State is the development of the Stott Center, a uh, nice weight room, very functional weight room uh, improvements there. And I think with all our sports, you win games in the off season, and certainly the Stott Center with office situations much better than it was. We're all in the same building, which which helps create a culture of togetherness and in this together. And I think it's very important. The Oregon State team will play a game this year at um, uh, at Providence Park against yeah. Montana State. Does that open the door for PSU in future years to come back to the stadium? Well, you know, you know, there might, and of course, that's a unique situation. Oregon State's, uh, you know, finishing up their facility, and, and um, from what I understand, it's going to be beautiful and, and good for Scott Barnes and his team for being able to do that. But you know, certainly, uh, it might open up an opportunity. I'm getting to know them. In fact, I was a guest at the Timbers game on Saturday night. It's the first time in the facility since they had renovated it, and, uh, you know, they do a nice job. And going to meet with their folks and see what opportunities we might have, uh, although I certainly understand their business model and, and you know, they want it for uh, uh, their two teams, but perhaps we can work together in the future. And, uh, and you know, that could be a possibility, but certainly, uh, you know, it's been a while since we played there, and, you know, their focus is on, you know, winning their championship as well. We're talking to John Johnson, Portland State Athletic Director. Uh, you are going to play in the BFT Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. Uh, you know, I love that you're going to go out there. You're going to get a chance to, you know, let us get to know you in person a little bit. But your wife is a 
uh, a fantastic golf coach. She has coached at, at the highest levels of college uh, athletics. Uh, can she coach you? Are you coachable on the course? No, I'm not that good an athlete, number one. Um, she just tells me to keep my head down and hit the ball, that I don't practice enough for her to give me a lesson, which I agree with that. Uh, but uh, very talented uh, coach and uh, did a terrific job at not only the University of Idaho, Boise State, but also at Nebraska when, quite frankly, they hadn't been very good for a while and and, and kind of did it with freshmen and sickles and hose a bit. And uh uh, really is fun. She's retiring now from coaching. She's going to be a mom, and but uh, certainly you want her on your scramble team. Uh, but I'm very pleased that I was I got into your tournament, and I look forward to meeting people and learning about your foundation. But yeah, she's a lot better than I am, and and I'm good with that. Uh, John Johnson, welcome to Portland. I appreciate you making time for us. We'll get you back on. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you in a couple weeks. That's Portland State's athletic director. He's got a challenge in front of him. they got to find a football stadium. they got to find their place like everybody else in college athletics. I want you to leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, a lot to talk about in the last uh, few days. Just took a call during the commercial break from a, a Pac-12 athletic director who's hopping mad. I asked him, "Would you have, uh, would you have done what USC and UCLA did, given uh, the circumstances?" And I think it's a fair question because I think you know today I had an administrator at USC say. Uh, everybody in the Pac-12 would have done this. There's no lie. And the truth is UCLA needed the money. UCLA had a bunch of debt. They had to pay it off. They needed the cash. They, uh, you know, they, they needed the money. But did USC need to destroy the Pac-12 conference to get what it needed to get? And, the, and what I gathered this morning, and I wrote it again, if you want to read it, it's at johnconzano.com, but... What I gathered this morning is that USC and UCLA kind of independently moved down this path. They were both moving in the same direction. They were not communicating about it. They were both talking to Fox and the Big Ten Conference. But then in the end, in the 11th hour, I am told they did have a conversation. There was a meeting or a phone call between Mike Bone, the AD at USC, and Martin Jarman, the AD at UCLA. And they spoke, and they said, hey, we got a lot of differences. We uh, have different challenges. Uh, we're rivals. But, gosh, we're on the same page when it comes to making this move. And I think the frustration is among Pac-12 ADs, and I'm telling you that a Pac-12 AD on the commercial break called me. He said, Larry Scott led us down this path. Larry Scott led us down this path. Those words. Um, also, though, George Klyovkov had had one job, and I thought George Klyovkov had a fantastic 364 days in his first year on the job. Day 365, he got hit like it was a bag of bricks hitting him. And on day 365, he lost USC, which you can't do if you're the Pac-12 commissioner. Was George Klyovkov too nice? That is a question that I am pondering.
He made this alliance deal with Kevin Warren of the Big Ten where he got everybody talking about scheduling. Big Ten teams were talking to Pac-12 teams, including UCLA and USC. He opened the door there, and he trusted Kevin Warren of the Big Ten. He uh, then trusted Carol Folt, the uh, president of USC. He trusted Martin Jarmon, the athletic director at UCLA, and he trusted Gene Block at UCLA. Um, he took him at face value. Do you hold that against George Klyovkov? I have a hard time, like, saying, uh, hey, you know what his fault was? He was too nice. But that came up in my phone call in the commercial break. Two things. One, uh, Larry Scott led the conference down this path. The, the, the sad thing is that the Pac-12 conference now has a matter of days, if not weeks, where it needs to figure out and stabilize what is going on. This is crisis management mode for the Pac-12. So as I spoke to the athletic director during the commercial break, I had like four minutes. He uh, attempted to call me during the last segment when I was talking to John Johnson, texted him, said, let me call you back on the break. Is this urgent? You know, whatnot. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, like, is somebody leaving the conference again? And no, he was just checking in and saying, uh, he said, hey, I listened to your radio show yesterday. A lot of the ADs in the conference, uh, listen to the podcast or listen to the show because we're, you know, it's Wilner and I and we're talking about the Pac-12 and there's really not another show in the Pac-12 conference footprint that covers the conference in this way. And and uh, he says, you know, uh, we are all in the same position. Nobody knew this was happening. Should George Klyovkov have known? It's going to be a question that's going to come up. And why did USC feel like this was the path? Because... There was another way, if you're USC. If you cared about the tradition of the conference and all that stuff that doesn't generate revenue, and you're like me, you care about that stuff, you have to be asking yourself, was there a way where USC could get what it wanted, UCLA could get what it wanted, but you still include the Pac-12 conference and keep it whole so you preserve 107 years of history and you don't nuke the Rose Bowl, so to speak? I kind of got to think that there was a way if USC and UCLA were interested in trying to walk that line. I'm not saying that it was, hey, let's take the whole conference with us, but maybe there was a way. But I guess the fear of USC and UCLA is that, you know, you start to involve other parties and the deal unravels. Again, they, they began talking last year and then picked the talks back up just a couple of months ago. Um, I'm really curious to see how athletes at those schools are going to feel as they get on planes to travel halfway across the country or all the way across the country to compete in events. I'm really curious to see, in the end, if the Pac-12 can stabilize itself. And I'm curious to find out, like, you know, what was the cause at USC? Because UCLA is along for the ride here. If we're being real, the Big Ten wasn't coming to L.A. just to get UCLA. They were coming to get USC. USC was the one program that the Pac-12 could not lose. Couldn't lose it, and yet they did. I want you to leave it here. Some parting thoughts coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Got a big holiday weekend coming up, three-day weekend. 
for a lot of people with 4th of July coming up on Monday. Sean, Stephen, what are you guys doing this weekend? Yeah, so uh, my wife's friend who she grew up with, you know, you know, basically, you know, brother from another mother. They uh, they just moved out to Eugene, him and his fiance. So I think we're planning to go visit them on the weekend. That's cool. Yeah. What so what what do you guys do when you hang out? What's what's that like? Uh well, so they live like it's I think it's right outside Eugene. So they have a really big property with a lot of like, you know, hills and dirt and trees and so uh, we'll just bring the kids out, let them run around and hopefully get tired. There you go. That's <laughs> for sure. What about you, Sean? Uh, finally got my road bike back, so I'll probably take it for a spin this weekend and then, uh, hang out with some friends, you know, maybe hang out by the pool. My apartment's got a nice pool, so, um, looking to spend some more time there. What's the scene like at the pool? Have you driven by? Have you seen people laying out there? Cause I've always driven by those places. You see people by the pool and I'm like, look at those people. They, they're living their best life. Yeah. Last weekend, I mean, it was in the eighties and the nineties, so it was, uh, it was pretty crowded, and you know there was a lot of fun to be had at the apartment pool last weekend. That sounds interesting. Uh, we've got kids, so I think it'll be uh, you know us hanging around, making uh, make. I don't remember this, but I gotta say something. Like Anna will, Anna kind of Anna's like super mom. Okay, so she takes the girls. She took the girls roller skating today at Oaks Park. So she took them to the roller rink at Oaks Park, and the kids skated. And, like, every day she does something cool like that. And I tell her what my kid, my parents did for me is they unlocked the back door and they said, we'll call you at dinner time. Like, I had to go out and kind of make my day happen or, you know, climb a tree, build a tree fort, you know, play uh, play uh, wiffle ball, you know, with anybody that would shag a ball. You know, it was like I was kind of making it happen. I don't ever remember being bored, but I wonder if – She's like, do you guys, as a kid, did your parents set you up with an activity every day or, or did you just make something happen? No, I totally feel you on that because my son, my oldest son, Lincoln, he's seven. And so, you know, he's finally starting to get his own voice and be opinionated and he'll just come up to me like, you know what, dad, I'm bored. And I'm like, well, go do something then. <laughs> like <laughs> I go, you would not, you wouldn't believe this, but, uh, you know, Grammy and pops, they made me just go play outside by myself. Like that's what I had to do. That was those were my choices. So, go yeah. do something. Figure something out. I love that. I I wonder. I think it's generational because I think we like their kids now are kind of looking to parents to like entertain me. And I go, no, no, no. It, you know, like like Anna literally took the youngest daughter. They went roller skating, and now she just took her to boxing class. So she had roller skating and boxing. And I'm like, that's a pretty busy day for a six year old. Uh, how about you? How about you, Sean? We're did your parents, like, set you up for activities, or did they just open the door and say, go entertain yourself? Uh, yeah, like, my parents' way of setting me up for activities was a lot of sports camps, or even if it wasn't a sports camp, some kind of summer camp, you know, where it's kind of an organized setting. Um, other than that, it was a lot of, you know, just hanging out with the neighborhood friends, shooting hoops out in the, in the driveway. So a um, little bit of a mix of both, but camps are definitely the way to go. Uh, you know, it sounds like you guys are doing that right already. I, I I wonder though. I wonder if we should just unlock the door and stare at him and go and see what happens. Well, and they I, just stare back at it. It sounds like Anne's a lot like my wife, where you know we have two kids, and so she tries to do a activity every single day. And I'm yes. like, that that's a lot. Like, what are we doing here? You know? I, know, I don't I don't want to be overly the best dad ever. You know, I just want to be an okay dad. Yeah, you want your kids to have some small problems with you later, exactly. where they're like, hey, you didn't you didn't take me to the park as often as some other parents. And you're like, you know what? Uh, you know, that's good for you. A little adversity. Yeah, deal, deal with, with it. it. Deal with that. But I feel like, uh, too, 
uh, I don't drive by parks and fields, and I've talked about this before. I don't drive by elementary schools. I don't see kids out there playing by themselves anymore. And we used to do that all the time. I would call my friends, and I'd be like, look, meet me at the elementary school. I'll be there at noon. And I'd bring a baseball glove. I'd bring a bat. I'd bring a ball. I might bring a football and a backpack. And I ride my bike to the school. And you know what? It was a long way for me. It was a couple miles I'm driving. It wasn't like blocks. And I drive over to the elementary school, and my friends show up, and we go, okay, we're going to play baseball. How many people do we have? We only have five. Okay, uh, if you hit the ball to the right side, you're an automatically out. You can't do that. Yeah, everything has to be on the left side of the field. It's pitcher's hand. We made up rules. We had conflict. We had to resolve it ourselves. Did you guys, Did you do you remember playing those kinds of games? And if so, what did you play? Yeah, I mean, we had a pretty decent backyard at my house, so I would play by myself, just wiffle ball. Like, I'd create storylines. You know, I'd trade players and pretend to do all their batting stances. Uh, but, yeah, my friends had a really big field, and so that was the same way. It was uh, we had to play wiffle ball, and he had a, had a good backyard. And so the if you were left-handed like I was, the fence to right field was super mm-hmm. short. And so the rule was you couldn't pull it over the fence because it was too easy to hit a home run. So you had to go opposite way. If you hit it, it hit it to right field, you're automatically out. So I, I, I understand exactly what you're talking about with the with specific rules, you know, cross outs and ghost runners, all that kind of stuff. How about you, Sean? Yeah, I, you're you're reminding me of some childhood memories playing cul-de-sac baseball, so not on a field. So you can imagine how that went. We're playing in our neighborhood. We're playing with a tennis ball with middle bats, so we're just absolutely whamming the ball. And uh, a couple of altercations with some windows um, back in my childhood. But, you know, if it wasn't baseball, it was some kind of basketball game, like tips was a, a really fun game that we used to play. Or um, What's get, tips? tips? What do you do that? Yeah. Basically... Uh, the you can't your feet can't hit the ground, so the ball goes off the rim, and the next player basically has to stay in the air. Like you have to, you have to try to tip the ball in. Um, and you, but your feet you can't, can't be, you can't be in contact with the ground. Basically, while you touch when the you ball. make a shot, yeah, you have to be in the air, so you're tipping the ball in. You're not, you're not on your, your feet aren't on the ground. Interesting. Did you guys invent that, or did you learn it? Somewhere? No, that's a, uh, that's a pretty well known basketball game. I've never heard of that either. Never heard of it. No. Huh. You said tips. I thought about tips. being being a server at a restaurant back in the day. Um, I, I, I just think, like, there are things you learn when you play games like that. It's conflict resolution, ability to organize yourselves. Uh, I think you learn to uh, get along with people. Sometimes people are difficult. You know, you find out later in life. Uh, I wonder today when I see, um, you know, our kids with parents always involved in organizing games, and then uh, also when I drive by fields, uh, you know, I don't see kids who are just playing out there playing because they love to play. Like, you know, and, and maybe some of it is we have these kids so damn committed to so many different things, they don't have time to drive down to the park and play a game. Like, no, I've got practice. Uh, I'm on this team, and I'm playing an instrument, and oh, I'm boxing, and I'm ro- roller skating. You know, like I'm just using our kids as an example. So I... I have uh, often wondered, like, if we're doing a disservice. And I mean, I don't mean like us specifically as parents, but like sort of the culture of America right now with uh, the, how busy kids are. Are we doing them a disservice? What do you guys think? Yeah, it's a tough, it's uh, a tough question. I mean, I think for me, it's always like, yeah, I want to keep my kids busy, but I'm at the same time, I want them to figure out themselves, right? Like, I will give them options. I will let them know, like, hey, maybe we should go do this. But a lot of times they, you know, he'll say he's bored. I'll say, just go figure it out. Like, go play toys. Go play outside. Go play. You know, knock on the neighbor's house. See if, uh, see if your friend the neighbor's home. You know, go go do one of those things. 
And then, and then come back to me later, and we'll figure it out. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I I also think, like, look, um, sometimes we overthink this stuff, and I think yeah, you often have, uh, you know, parents are doing this stuff because they love their kids, and they think, hey, this is just kind of the, the way that your kid gets ahead in a sport, to be committed and to uh, get that extra training and to be busy. But uh, I'll, t- I'll tell people this. Look, I've been, I've been doing this show for, I don't know, 15, 17 years, and uh, I can't count. But I, look, I looked up once how many interviews that we've done on the show. I think it's something like 3,000 interviews it's that we've interviewed people. And I'd say of the 3,000 interviews, I'm going to say maybe, uh, maybe 2,000 of those are with, with people who have been athletes. I have, I don't think ever had an athlete tell me, um, no, kids should specialize in one sport. And I can tell you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times where athletes from Tom Glavin, who played some hockey, and Dominican Sue, who played soccer as a kid, um, uh, all the way to, uh, you know, like somebody like Wesley Matthews, who, who played a bunch of different sports as a kid, they've all talked about you know, the versatility that playing other sports gives them because you use different muscles. But they've also talked about the mental break, the, ref- the, f- the freshness of their brain that they get from maybe not just playing one sport all the time. Keep that in mind. Think about it over the weekend. Uh, when your kids tell you they're bored, just unlock the door and point outside. Yeah, like, John, hey, I want to add to that yeah. point. My wife, a high school track coach, that's what she okay. says. She always tells people to go play other sports that will help you out in anything you do. Amen to that. All right. I want everyone to have a great weekend, a safe weekend, great 4th of July weekend. You can read me this weekend at johnconzano.com. I'm going to have more. I am uh, talking with Pac-12 ADs. I'm talking with presidents. I, uh, I have communicated with George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner. I've got something to say. I think it's days, if not weeks, as the Pac-12 tries to reinvent itself and stabilize itself. So keep an eye on that.